Dr. Spatzel. My creative labs, please enter your name. S-Q-U-R-E square W-V-E-S waves F-M hello square waves F-M. My name is Dr. Spatzel. I am here to help you. Say whatever is in your mind freely. Our conversation will be kept in strict confidence. Memory contents will be wiped off after you leave. So, tell me about your problems. I recorded a podcast today with my friends talking about our first computer games, black hat hacking, and failing mathematics classes. Have you tried to ask for help? Well then, welcome. <laughs> We're off to a good start. Welcome to episode five of the Square Waves FM podcast. So nice to have you all aboard with us. Um, today uh, we have a topic that is very much near and dear to our hearts, and we have brought along a special guest as well. But uh, our special guests are second-class citizens, which means that we get to introduce ourselves first as your illustrious hosts. My name is Brian, and uh, with me as always is Mr. I'm Chris, and I'm really, really excited to, well, I guess, make you guys listen to us all um, <laughs> today. And I finally get to meet um, Mr. Would you please introduce yourself? Hello, I am Ben Chandler. It's a pleasure to be here with you both. Pleasure to have you. So much pleasure. I uh, can't wait. Yeah, yeah. So uh, <laughs> we're, we, uh, Chris and I are both big fans of uh, Ben's uh, podcast with Francisco Gonzalez, the Blue Cup Tools podcast. So it is yes. a phenomenal pleasure to have such a uh, well-practiced and uh, well-accomplished individual and podcaster such as Ben along with us. Oh, Thank I you usually, so much for joining us. I'm usually just playing Doom during the podcast with <laughs> I'm not. I'm not good at this. I just talk. <laughs> oh, you, you put up a convincing facade, if nothing else. I'm glad. You do, I'm although glad. I've, I've gotten quite good at knowing when you're painting or when you're playing too, and there's like these like... Yeah. <laughs> Three quarters of a millisecond pause before you answer a question, or you just, just go, kind of go, yeah, 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 I agree, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> That's me. I actually, I actually got, I played like, I played a bunch of Doom Tomb before I, um, before I, before you guys called me, so like, I've got that out of my system. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> so well, hopefully you've still you, got the adrenaline pumping. You're getting my full attention because you're talking about DOS games, so, you know. Oh, okay. In the last episode, I, I think this was squawked out of the episode, but yeah, there's, trolls had to take a couple of breaks during the episode, and those were on the original recording um, with, with, well, I won't say what happened. Okay. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so so don't worry, being distracted by um, either bodily functions or by games is perfectly acceptable in this podcast. <laughs> or I suspect some combination of the two, some kind of ungodly intertwining. <laughs> I don't. I've seen what people say about like things on the internet. I don't want to know what the people do with their games. <laughs> anyway, anyway, I, I got. I got to admit, I've rubbed. I rubbed um, King's Quest Seven on my balls. <laughs> well, I, 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 I got like the wet that... like. <laughs> Sorry, Chris. It deserved it. King's Quest Seven. That was the cartoony one with Validus yeah. or whatever. That After is. I finished well, it. We That's now all know I why Valenice cries through the entire game <laughs> because she was assaulted by Ben. Oh no! I, I finished the game and like I called Francisco up on my webcam, I'm like, "Hey man, what's this?" 
That is actually the only game I ever returned to Sierra for a refund. Oh, was, you're yeah. kidding me. It was shortly before, it was like just in the, the early days of their CD-ROM releases that they wow. started to put this seal of approval guarantee inside the boxes saying, if you don't like this game, just send us a copy of the receipt and we'll give you a full refund. And Holy I loved cow. Sierra. I adored whatever, even the crapola games. I just love them. I love the experience and everything. And I loaded up this game and it's all cutesy-poo and there's crying and the visual... The, the visual design was just so dramatically different from the last one, which was pretty right. dark and gritty, despite being so beautiful and colorful. Like, it was just very well, dark in its tone. The, the I think they had a, a lot of trouble because it was SVGA, if I'm not if, if I'm not incorrect. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was 256 yeah. color SVGA. I think. Yeah, and I think they had a lot of trouble making that transition into kind of high, higher res stuff. But um, how did they go returning stuff to Sierra? Did you actually get money back? Yeah, I don't remember too much. I, you mail it to them. We like put it into wow. a padded envelope or something. This big box PC game and mailed it to them. And I got it was like sixty bucks, which I'm sure at the time with inflation must have been like eighty or ninety bucks or so. Yeah, so right. These are back in the days when purchasing a, a PC game was a pretty significant ordeal for me, where I would save up my allowance or my babysitting money or something for weeks, and then invariably we would drive from Toronto to Buffalo, New York, where the games were like $10 oh. cheaper due to the exchange rate or whatever, and uh, uh-huh. I'd read the wow. manual in the car, the two-hour car ride on the way home. Oh, man, we all read the manual oh. in the car on the car ride home. Isn't yeah. that uh-huh. crazy? I had the exact same experience, too. I'd, yeah? We'd go in, we, <laughs> we lived in a on a farm, so we had a one-hour drive to the city, and, oh, man, I remember, like, Sim City came with this, like, fairly thick, I think it was 40, or no, sorry, Sim Ant came with this, like, 40 or 50 or maybe even a 100-page manual, and I, like, devoured the thing on my way home. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's awesome. Oh, um, yeah. I, I, you just reminded me of something funny. Um, I, I, we never talked about edutainment. Um, I know that um, Francisco just did an edu- Sierra edutainment episode with um, uh, Anatoly, but mm-hmm. do you guys remember there was a series of edutainment software called Knowledge Adventure? Um, there was like Undersea Adventure. There, was, there were all of these kind of like um, sort of 10-year-old oriented games back in the 90s. I vaguely recall the Yeah, name. vaguely. Yeah, yeah I, well, what happened was I bought one and I had a two, uh, sorry, I had a 286 at the time. And this is, I, I don't know what I was thinking. I don't think I was just, I think I was just really dumb as a kid. I, <laughs> I bought this game and on the box, it said minimum re- system requirements 386. And to me, that always just said, well, that, you know, that means that it'll probably just run like crap on my 286, but I can still play it. So I bought this game called Undersea Adventure. Uh, hopefully some of our listeners will recognize the name. It's basically like one of those multimedia experiences where they actually figured out they had some amazing codec where they packed in um, a video on floppy disk on like five or six floppies. It actually video. had like full, full motion, yeah, like 15 frames per second video. Hmm. Um, and it was, and I remember the floppies took like forever to install because they were like compressed to hell. Mm-hmm. But um, I bought this game. You just reminded me of your return story. So I bought this game, and, well, it's technically edutainment software, and I was really, really excited about it because I love undersea stuff. And um, I took it home, and I got it installed. And I remember it took, like, 45 minutes to an hour to install it. Got it installed, super excited, went to play it. And it said, this game cannot be played on a 286. This game has a minimum requirement of a 386 processor. Like, it actually wouldn't even load the EXE. The EXE would just error out. And I was, like, so heartbroken because Radio Shack didn't take returns oh. of uh, software. Uh. 
so I wrote this like <laughs> I wrote this indignant letter. I think I must have been in grade ah uh, grade six or grade seven. I wrote this <laughs> indignant letter to the owners of Knowledge Adventure, which politely requested that they they reprogram the game so it works on my two eighty. <laughs> That's not unreasonable. <laughs> exactly. <I> thought... <laughs> You know who it's you're like, talking to, people? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I, I want it now, and I want it last week. So, I, yeah, I, I just like specifically remember that was the only letter that I'd ever written to uh, a software developer politely requesting that they rebuild their, their entire uh, C++ programming library so it would work my 286. <laughs> and did they <laughs> accommodate your request? <laughs> uh, no, no, I never, I never got a single reply to that. And so what no. I ended up doing was, I was, I, was a, I was a total jerk. I went, I'd go over to my friend's house, who I knew had a 46 at the time, and I'd be like, oh, do you, wanna, do you, got, do you guys want to play today? And they're like, yeah, yeah, let's play. And then I would take my box with me, and I would like, you know, say, oh, do you guys want to like go play on the computer? And they're like, nah, nah, I don't really want to play on the computer. I'm like, okay, well, I guess I'll go play on your computer, and you guys can just play together. <laughs> so that's how I actually got to play that game. Oh, that's beautiful. Way to make yourself I at was, home. I'm a terrible human being. I, I had a friend that would be like that. I remember at my birthday party one day, everyone was like, where's John? I'm like, I don't know where he's going to be. Like, I went to the computer room, and he's like snuck off, and he's like loaded up one of my games, and he's like playing on the computer. <laughs> <laughs> the best part was like oh, that's fantastic I was, I was such a little jerk and then my, my friends would get really bored so they I remember one day they came upstairs and they actually kind of got into it they really liked this Undersea Adventure game because it, it had like this lame Doom kind of um, uh, like really lame Doom kind of interface it was supposed to make it more fun but really you were just walking through glorified like um, three dimensional painting gallery looking at pictures mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. To this day, I can talk to those guys, and there's this terrible, terrible joke in it where if you go up to a painting, uh, if you go up to this certain painting, I, I think it's a manatee, if you go up to the manatee and like kind of bump into it, it goes, hi, I'm a manatee. I used to be a boyity, but then I grew up. Oh, that is inexcusable. I'm sorry. <laughs> And I um, swear to God, I can say that to either of them and they'll like instantly remember that moment. That's funny. Well, it's not funny. Okay, so <laughs> that's terrible. Yeah, that's I'm sorry. I got us off track. <laughs> that's yeah, as we are wont to do. I think you your yeah. your story reminded me of like three more stories of my own history. <laughs> For instance, sneaking off during a New Year's party with uh, one of my friends to uh, track a mod song of Old Lang Syne in, in like the, oh, the host's awesome. bedroom. <laughs> oh, that's so hardcore. Holy oh, cow. Yeah. Um, oh, I know what my other one was. Uh, I guess I'll start. Ben, did you ever write, a, uh, have you ever written a letter to a game company? Yeah, I've written a couple. I remember, have you guys ever played an acclaim game called Constructor? No. Oh, I'm aware of Constructor, but I've not actually yeah. played it. I think it was 1997, I want to say. And, yeah. Um, it's it's like notoriously hard. It's like a city building kind of game. It's a bit like a, a, a smaller scale SimCity where you like you put up right. houses and like you have tenants renting and stuff like that. And it's really, really hard. Like it's notoriously tough. So me being a kid, like, you know, 1997, I would have been 10 years old. So, um, or nine actually. Because I'm like, yeah, I'm born right at the end of the year. So. Like, yeah, I'm 
I was stuck on this game and like I couldn't like when I get past this, the first area like I just I had no idea what I was doing so I wrote this letter to like a claim asking for hints and to post it to like England cost so oh, much wow. money like it was all of my pocket money and like I never got a reply and I was heartbroken like I was waiting oh, every no. day I was like mum did a letter come for me today <laughs> Oh, that was a very successful company at the time, too. They could have afforded yeah, that. Yeah, they were. Yeah, Man. they could have done. I know. And the other one was, um, did you guys ever play a, a Maxis game called Streets of SimCity? Yeah. Oh, absolutely, yeah. What a cool yeah. game. Yeah, it was Fantastic such a cool... Game. It was like, yeah, SimCopter, and they had the urban renewal kit where you could, like, do... It was basically a level editor for your cities, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, didn't so that game I, already import your SimCity 2000? It did. Lab- yeah, it levels? absolutely did. Yeah, but you could That's like amazing. if you like if you, if you didn't want to spend like the time like building up the economy, you just you could just like go in and like just build tracks in the in the urban renewal kit basically. Hmm. And I couldn't figure out, and my brother couldn't figure out how to build like docks and like seaports in the urban renewal kit. So we wrote a letter to Maxis in Australia, and um, the guy replied, and he was really really nice, but he clearly had no idea which piece of software we were talking about. He was oh. like talking about SimCity 2000, and I'm like, dude, we know about SimCity 2000. We want to know about the Urban oh. Renewal Kit. I want to say that was a 97 game as well. I might be off there, but it was around that same time. I think your only solution now is to go burn down Will Wright's house. Okay, <laughs> that's fair. I mean, yeah, I yeah. played Spore. <laughs> I think uh, I think Will Wright burned down. Uh... Uh, EA's house when that game came out. Oh my god, I just realized that's like a terrible foe. I, what's wrong with me? Did you guys did you guys know Will Wright's house actually did burn down? What? Did oh it? Oh my god, really? Ben? Yeah. That was so, so, oh my god, I feel like an asshole. Um, the, oh, the poor the guy. Whole, the, the whole reason that Sin City even had those like earthquake, tornado, and everything disasters is because Will Wright's house burned down in California during this massive firestorm. Oh, and he wow. Got, yeah, he got perversely interested in kind of natural disaster after that. Huh. <laughs> oh, my That's, God, I'm a terrible human being. How did I, why, I like, <laughs> forget that? That explains why, like, in The Sims, like, your uh-huh. sim can, like, mess up cooking the most basic thing oh, yeah. set the oven on fire. You're like, how do you set an, ov- an oven on fire? How do you do that? That's impossible. <laughs> oh, I will never forget my very first Sim in Sims 2, which is a game I play to death and I absolutely love. My that first is the Sim, best. Love, love he became Sim. like a world famous chef and he like published cookbooks and he was on TV or something. He had like the highest job and he died making a baked Alaska, which is this <laughs> kind of a it's this cake where you bake the cake and at the very end you have to toss like a match onto your onto your cake yeah. and it goes whoosh into flame and it's this beautiful thing. You had like the highest cooking skill. I don't think he'd ever even like cut a fingernail or something in a mistake and whoosh, he like goes up in flames and turns into this little pile of ash on the floor. I am I think that's every chef's like dream. <laughs> to go I, in a blaze of, of glory. He died yeah. he died in a grease fire. Yeah, that's amazing. Oh. Rest in peace, little buddy. Oh, that's, that's, that's oh. now you guys. Now you have me wanting to start some sim stories, but I'm not going to do it because I've got. Oh I, man, that's, I, a, I, that's a long forever. road to go down. Oh man. exactly. Well, I'll just dial it back then by saying that I once wrote a letter to Origin about uh, Wing Commander, oh. which was a game that totally captivated my imagination in my free time, of course. And mm-hmm. I wrote them just a letter of like ten questions of like, uh, was the lead character? It was, I guess, it was Wing Commander two. 
because one of my questions okay. was about whether the the protagonist, also known as Blue Hair, was voiced by Chris Roberts, and how come uh, these guys, when uh, you taunt them, how come they swear? The swearing is bad. I was a little kid. It was a, <laughs> it was a very personal letter. That's adorable. So, you know, apparently, that's where the name Blair comes from, is from the Blue Hair thing, like in the series, apparently. Are you kidding that's me? Red. I did not apparently. know that. Yeah. Oh, that's crazy. Christopher Blair. Hmm. So anyway, the origin wrote me back all the way from Texas, and they answered You're my kidding. questions wow. very patiently and very uh, in, with great detail. And they they were happy to uh, to have a fan write to them. I think I signed it from like uh, Corporal Blackjack with four thousand nine hundred or four hundred ninety two Kilrathi kills or something like that. Nice. Oh my god! Can you imagine being the person that gets to answer those letters from kids? Uh-huh. That's got to be an amazing job. It's got to be. I love it when people email me and like, hey, I played your game. I'm like, that's the nicest feeling, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, I can imagine. That's mm-hmm. fantastic. Uh, well, how was that for a for an introduction? That was a podcast in and of itself, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, well, that'll do. <laughs> why don't we uh, bring this fail train back onto the rails somewhat with uh, a Let's little bit of our, our pre-show housekeeping. Um, yeah. First of all, I wanted to we want to thank once again uh, Trolls for joining us last week for such a good time. Uh, it yes, was a great that was discussion wonderful, about music. Yeah, thanks so much for joining us, Trolls. Uh, come back anytime. And um, as per his recommendation, I have signed us up for the Stitcher service for oh, podcasting. Cool. And boy, are those guys hoity-toity. They, I had to like fill out this whole application with my name and postal code and crap, and then they're like, okay, we'll get back wow. to you if you're accepted. And that was like six days ago. Gee. So, mm. so, yeah. Maybe um, we're not cool enough yet. I, I guess not. We're, we're going to have to cool it up this week, I suppose, so that Stitcher <laughs> bestows, bestows... Is that why we I'm have here? Their grace. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. We have to class up I, the joint a little I bit. I assume that's going to help. <laughs> I, yeah. I've already ruined up by talking about rubbing my balls on a Sierra game. <laughs> no, no, no. That's going to clinch it for us, no doubt. <laughs> Probably, yeah. If they've played yeah, these questions... Save it all cool. for the future upcoming Roberta Williams episode. <laughs> mm. Oh, you... <laughs> Whether Ben is with us or not, I Sorry, think we no hear his voice all the way from Australia while we record that episode. <laughs> no <comment>. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Roberta. The other uh, bit of pre-show business to take care of is, and perhaps he, uh, perhaps uh, the gentleman himself can comment. This was a comment from a fellow by the name of Ben Chandler, who mentions uh, back to our uh, about our first episode that the hint in the Monkey Island one uh, ah, puzzle yes. that you got stuck with. Um, was actually a book called How to Get Ahead in Navigating. I and feel so... like an idiot. I had <laughs> no... I, I looked at those lists. I was like, why would they have like a leaflet named, uh, a brochure named? I'm like, this is so stupid. I didn't actually yeah. look at the brochure names at all. Thank you. <laughs> I have a real habit of picking up inventory items, but not actually looking at them, not expecting yeah. them to reveal some yeah. additional piece of information. So I can see where you're coming from. Plus, I suck at adventure games, and that doesn't help. Man, do you know where I got stuck in the secret of Monkey Island when I was a kid? Like, this is embarrassing, but I was a dumb kid, so, you know. Um, You know when you're on the ship and you're collecting the various, like, alternate ingredients for the voodoo recipe? Oh, yeah. You know how there's the cereal box that's got the key inside? Uh, Oh. I'll take your word for it. It's been a while. There's a cereal box, and the the prize in the cereal box is, like, a key to, like, the captain's stuff. Yeah. I got stuck at that for like three weeks. Like, yeah, recently, I got stuck on that for like I, I'm a, a grown month. man. 
Yeah, yeah, and the the solution to like find the key is to use the open verb on the cereal box, which is the most that's straightforward, right. obvious puzzle in that entire game, and that's what I got stuck on. That's how yeah, embarrassing that is. We forgot about that. Well, that game kind You've of got... suffers from excessive verbitis. There's so many things that you can do to so many other things. Well, I yeah, love, exactly, like... and it goes quite heavy on the inventory. Uh, yeah item puzzles, right? So that's, and, and that's death for me. If I have a game that has more than four inventory items, I'm screwed because, you know, at, at <laughs> that, it, beca- it hits like five factorials in terms of combining them, and I'm not capable yeah. of doing that as a human being. <laughs> <laughs> the permutations are too many. Exactly. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> I do. I must say, like with all the verbs and everything like that, I do love the part when you're in the governor's mansion and you're wrestling with Festishine top in like the back. Oh room. yeah, that's fantastic. And you've got like the status bar that gives like use wax lips on rhinoceros or whatever it is. I love that <laughs> so much. That's such a great gag. That's like making fun of the inter- like they re- you. Could- I really love Monkey Island the first one because you could really tell that they built this system and they were just having fun with it. There was no exactly. like this is how adventure games should be. They were just doing. They did so many cool things like walking on like a loose plank and like the seagull comes up and like oh, and like I got I got stuck at that that puzzle for like three or four days because I was like, I searched the entire island up and down and I couldn't figure out what to do next. Yeah, and you just have to walk to the end of the pier to step on the plank by yeah. hand. Oh, was that in the kitchen in the bar or whatever? Yes, in the yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. Too. I love like, I love how much they played with the system. Like one of my favorite puzzles in, I think about adventure game design a lot and one of my favorite ever puzzles is the idea of you've got hammer space where inventory items don't take up weight and you're strapped right. underwater like Festa Shinetop throws you over the edge like tied <laughs> to the idol of many hands. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and you've got these like razor-sharp sword and like, you know, dangerously sharp scissors <laughs> right scissors, next to you. Yeah. yeah, I love that. And I mean, you've had the idol in your inventory. You know you can pick it up and carry it around, but you've got these razor-sharp swords and so they're really playing with that idea of like the adventure game system. I love that so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's, it's wonderful and... Um... I was trying to think of uh, shit. I, I was trying to think of my favorite puzzle in Monkey Island One. Um, I, I the other part I got stuck at was in. Um, I'm now going to complain about it. Uh, in the Voodoo <laughs> Lady's house, there are these uh, there are these caskets or boxes, and they're supposed to be all containing voodoo ingredients or something. Oh no, yeah, it's the Voodoo Lady's place. And every time you click on something, he says, "No, I don't want to touch that," or like, "I better yeah. just leave it alone." It's voodoo stuff, or that looks gross. And I, I, so I gave up in that room. Unfortunately, one of the boxes is actually openable, and it's got, I think, the rubber chickens inside of it or something. Yes. It's the rubber chickens. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like one of, the, one of the places I didn't think of clicking at. And mm. apparently he's willing to touch that one place in her entire house. Anyway, I shouldn't be complaining. It's a wonderful <laughs> game. I just it sure it's really is. suck. <laughs> I don't remember whether this was the first or the second Monkey Island game, but there's a place where you have to cross a bridge that a troll is guarding. That's the first and, one, yeah. First okay, one. and he's yeah. like, I, I want you to give me something, but it's got to be like, it's got to right. be almost something, but it's actually something else, and you have to give him like a red herring. Yeah. The, the, yeah. The silly puns, that was my favorite one. I I always um I always wondered how like people who spoke other languages or like English wasn't their first language might not get the pun and like I wondered how how frustrating oh, that puzzle would be for them. Yeah. I can't even imagine. I mean, it, that's it's actually probably Yeah. Go ahead. You know you know when the troll pulls his mask off and eats the fish, the face is actually yeah. George Lucas's face. Oh, you're kidding. What? Oh, it I is. didn't even notice that. Yeah. No, that's his, that's his little cameo in the game. It's cute. 
Oh, that's crazy. It's pretty flattering. Wow, hmm. that's like a lot of love to pack into a game. No kidding. Oh, man, you you should see how many Star Wars references there are in Full Throttle. There's a ton. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Another one of my right. favorite games of all time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, don't get me started on that game because you won't stop me. <laughs> yes, don't don't we have some housekeeping to do before we get yeah, started sorry. on our love to oh, our yeah. lives? Oh yeah, our increasingly <laughs> filthy house. Um, well, uh, why don't we take this opportunity to uh, check out a recording that uh, Mr. Troll has left for us, which was uh, some supplementary information about his uh, mud tracking days. Um, hi, I'm Trolls. Uh, and I was just part of a, a magnificent podcast with uh, Brian and Chris, and uh, we completely forgot to tell a story about uh, LAN parties and music at LAN parties, especially mod competitions. Um, now, in uh, in Denmark, um, I used to go to a friend's place every weekend as a kid with my uh, little brother. We would, uh, you know, carry our big. Uh, fucking cabinets uh, uh, computers to this dude's place who lived on the sixth floor by the way my dad hated me um, and uh, we would play you know uh, Quake and Starcraft and shit and then when we figured out that this was fun we started you know organizing small lands you know like uh, 20 people meet up somewhere and you have token ring uh, lands and shit and uh, eventually it got to the point where um, some dudes were organizing uh, like huge land parties, huge in Denmark size anyway, like 250 or 300 people in a, a high school gymnasium for a weekend. They would get together and uh, they would sit around, uh, uh, you know, uh, playing games and uh, and they and they would have uh, competitions and shit. Um, and whenever people started playing something that wasn't Doom or Quake. Uh, whenever people start playing StarCraft, for instance, or WarCraft, which I was terrible at, uh, I would just sit back and do tracker music. Um, and this was like at you know 4 a.m. People would just drink uh, amazing amounts of Coke, and I mean the soft drink. Um, they, would, they would just sit around and, and, and drink the shit and stay up for, for whatever. Um, the story goes, eventually I, I attended a, a party called The Party, uh, which was in Jutland, which apparently uh, Brian uh, professes is a major deal. I did not know this. It was just another land. It was three times the size of any land I'd ever been to, and, and it was in Jutland, so my dad had to drive us a terrible long-ass way, but it was just a land like everyone else. And uh, I got there, and um, we would sit around and play, you know, Worms Armageddon and Quake and shit. And uh, when everyone uh, uh, broke off and started playing games that I had no interest in, I would sit there and track music. And uh, the uh, the party had these uh, competitions. Um, they had, uh, you know, demo competitions, um, which I couldn't participate in because I can't code worth shit. And they would have music competitions. And they had two different music competitions. They had uh, mod competitions and they had MP3 competitions. Um, so you, you would submit your mod file or you would submit your MP3 file. And uh, even though the song that I submitted was a mod file, uh, I did not meet the deadline of the mod competition. I only met the deadline of the MP3 competition. So I basically just took a wave dump of the uh, mod file I was working on and entered that into the uh, MP3 competition. And for some strange ass fucking reason, it won. And I still have no idea why it did because the song that I entered was a terrible, terrible techno song. 
And I mean like techno in the 90s sense, like a fucking cut and move and two unlimited sense. It was a really, really terrible techno song. Uh, what it did was it sampled the uh-oh sound from ICQ messaging software and it basically used that as the theme. So it went uh-oh, 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 and such. Um, and, and I entered that into the MP3 competition and it won. Uh, and I got like a prize of like a, a, a thousand Danish kroner, which I immediately spent on beer. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, uh, I thought nothing of it, but uh, years later, uh, or down the line, people would call me or, or, or write me emails and say, hey, would you like to do the uh, music for our intro or for our game and such? Could you do it in the style of the ICQ song? And I would go, no, because the, the uh, sort of music I was into at the time was you know, uh, metal and industrial music, which had nothing to do with the sort of music I was doing uh, for, for the party. Um, so yeah, that's uh, that's that's basically my um, my story. So uh, uh, thank you again, uh, Brian and Chris, for having me on your show. It was it was an absolute pleasure to uh, uh, meet and chat with you guys. And um, oh well, my recording just cuts off at and um and um. <laughs> that's that's some excellent engineering on my part there. So thanks a bunch, trolls, for the supplementary information about uh, your mod experiences. Um, in ret- I, I heard him record this just at the end of our session last time, but now that I hear it again, it kind of dawns on me what an accomplishment it is to have won this MP3 competition. Um, as that's we amazing. discussed, yeah, as we discussed last time, mod music is a format of music that is rendered in real time, and as such, it has some limitations compared to other sorts of music, like where when you render something in real time, what you what what you see is what you get. Whereas with other kinds of music, you have the opportunity to record it and master it and do some post production effects and stuff like that. And so, for trolls to actually win the MP3 competition with a mod file that presumably was just kind of played the way that it was composed without any post production done on it, that is a real testament to his ability to put together something cohesive and talented so kudos trolls that is a very impressive accomplishment that's uh mm. the party in denmark is actually a pretty well-renowned uh, yeah, demo and mod competition i think it might still be going on to this day like after 20 25 years wow. yeah i remember I, re- I remember getting the nfo files uh you know they would take months to get to my bbs's locally but i remember getting like the advertisements for the upcoming comps so that's it that's that's very very cool very impressive. So I think Trolls had asked me not to link to his ICQ song, but uh, for those for those interested in hearing a whole bunch of melodic uh-ohs, uh, go ahead and uh, search for ICQ, and his uh, his name was Alchemy. I think it still is Alchemy. So yep, ICQ song is, and Alchemy. Yeah. So uh, I'll do him the favor of not superimposing it into the into the episode here, but uh, it's it's a pretty technically good song, and it's horrifically catchy. So just listen at your own it. peril. <laughs> uh, ben, did you ever have any overlap or awareness of the demo scene or of mod music or anything to that effect? I mean, I play games with mod music, and I I watch demos, but like I didn't have like access to much internet or anything like that when I was a kid. So like. It was, and when I did go on the internet, I didn't know about any of like the cool scenes or anything like that. So I found about all that much later, like when I was in high school, when all that was kind of a thing of the not a thing of the past, but nowhere near as big as it was in the nineties. Okay, yeah, Australia was pretty behind the times in terms of connectivity. I guess just due is to its, is due to its <laughs> geographic unfortunateness. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but I love like 
I think is am I right in thinking the soundtrack to Days X is mod music? Yes, it, it is. is. Yeah, that's like one of my favorite soundtracks of all time. Like every piece in that is just sensational. So like you am know, I, and obviously. Am I wrong? Like, am I wrong in thinking that it might be the last mod music soundtrack in a game commercial game ever made? Oh, far from. No, they, but there's what? still there's current games that use mod music soundtracks. Um, oh right, yeah, you mentioned Plants vs Zombies takes advantage. That's what I was that, about to it? say. That's right. Yeah, mm-hmm. right, 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 right. I completely forgot about that. Yeah, totally viable format even to this day, which is really yeah. Cool. Well, I think I think Nintendo used MIDI up until the Wii, didn't they? Am I? Oh, it was Anatoly like, Nintendo... who set me straight on this. Where Nintendo yeah. for the Super Nintendo, I think the the NES. The Nintendo Entertainment System um, had an onboard synthesizer with, I forget, two or th- I think it was like three melodic channels yeah, and one right. noise channel, which was often used for percussion and for sound yep. effects interchangeably. And then the Super Nintendo had a format very similar to mods, where it was basically a MIDI file, but it also had uh, embedded sounds so that every game That's had right. to supply its own instruments. I didn't, mm-hmm. And I don't know if people know that, but uh, yeah, what you were saying, Ben, was I'm not, I, I haven't played with a Wii in years, but I know the Nintendo 3DS still has a full wavetable synthesizer on it. Mm, there you go. And it produces fantastic music. That's why games like, I think Animal Crossing, for instance, is a perfect example of a 3DS game that has a, like a really, really rich soundtrack, even though it's actually being uh, produced on the fly. That game has one of my favorite soundtracks of all time. And Animal Crossing games have the cutest music ever. Incredible music. And I, yeah. I, I found a rip of the, of the Animal Crossing soundtrack. It might have been from the GameCube, like a really early I remember that. of the game. It's like yep. seven hours long. Exactly. Mm. And there's like 3,000 mm. files. Yeah. It's exceptionally good music. I love it. I listen to it all the time. And Me it too. is super I, cute. Th- this is like so incredibly nerdy, but like every Christmas, I, I like... I did, because I don't have any, a lot of that old hardware anymore, mm-hmm. I like will queue up the Animal Crossing uh, New Year's Eve or Christmas Eve music around uh, Christmas Day because it's just like <laughs> so perfectly fitting for like snowy snowy winters in Canada. Mm-hmm. Mm. There right. it is. Okay, <laughs> have we have we uh, thoroughly enough uh, uh, wa- wasted our, our good listeners' time leading up to <laughs> the inevitable? Oh, we've got some more yeah. leading up to do, don't we? We have to talk about whatever it was that we played this week. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'll, then we'll, we'll just do a really quick one then. Ben, what have you been yeah. playing? I've been playing only DOS games this week. I've been, like, just not oh. super long playing them, but, like, trying some games that I never got around to trying. So I'll just run through them really quick. Um, one is called Final Orbit, which is basically you've got, like, an egg-shaped robot and you're, like, walking around the surface of a planet shooting. That's really fun. Like, it's got, like... Because you're walking, you can't just, like, pivot. You have to, like, back up if you run into something. And um, it's ah. kind of basic, but it's fun enough, you know? Is it, is it um, similar to, like, a Commander Keen? No, it's it's top, like, it's top down. The bird's oh, eye view. Oh, top, top down. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, oh, it's interesting. interesting. It's it's kind of simple and kind of basic, but I still had, I've still been having fun with it. Hmm. Um, cool. And I've been playing Wings of Fury. Did you guys ever play that? Oh, yeah. That sure sounds familiar, maybe. It's that's fantastic. Yeah, that's I've been really enjoying that. That's a that's a that's just like, um, what's is it? Try playing Turmoil. Did you guys ever play that? No, no. Okay, it's similar to it's similar to that, but it's basically it's, you've got a side view. Have you guys played Luftrausers? I know you have, Brian. Yeah, yeah, that's I actually on my list. Okay, yeah, so that's it's quite similar to that, but older and there's there's less to do. But yeah, I've been really enjoying ah. that, and it's got this fantastic animation, like. 
when the plane turns around, like it um it's got this fantastic animation. I love it so much. Like it's just it's a really simple game, but it's really well put together, you know? So it's like an arcade cool. shoot 'em up sort of a game? Pretty much. Um it's it's like yeah, you, you drop bombs on buildings and things like that. Um yeah. and you've uh, what, got, like, uh, when did it come out? Is it an eighties or a nineties game? I think it's eighty nine. I think. Wow. Okay. So it's yeah. probably so it's like so EGA familiar. or something. I don't remember whether I played it. It's EGA, Chris. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Um and just and just some Doom Two because, you know, why <laughs> why stay away? <laughs> sure. So that's awesome. that's my list. That's some good stuff. Uh, you mm. next, Chris. What have you been playing? Yes. Oh, um, I haven't been playing a whole lot lately. I have been playing some DOS stuff. I finished, as of 1 a.m. last night, I finished uh, Planetfall. Oh, uh, nice. Oh, man. That, I, that's the second time in my life I've, I've finished Planetfall. I played it one time a long, long time ago. And I am so beyond impressed by just, just little things in that game. There's a part... Um, hopefully it won't be ruining a puzzle for anybody, but there's a part yeah. in the game where you have to be shrinked down uh, to microscopic size. Have either of you played Planetfall? I can't remember. I might have talked about this last week. I played it briefly. You go ahead with your story, and then I'll tell you about my experience with it. Okay. Well, there's a part where you have to be shrunk down to, like, micron size, and then you actually enter a computer and walk down the circuit board and fry stuff with this little laser beam. Oh, sweet. And, uh, and it's cool. And they have, like... Compared to any other game I've played, it's the first time where I actually felt miniature in a game. And I can't explain <laughs> it because it's just text. It was, it was so incredibly well done. So um, I shrunk down to this little miniature guy. I fried something with my laser, and then I got kind of like spit out of the miniaturization booth. And all of a sudden, the game picks up pace, and I couldn't believe it. It's an extremely short game. You can finish it in about three or four hours. Um, and, you know, the game is finishable within about ten minutes after that point. Um, but I was, I was like, I went to bed with smiles on my face because it, it has a fantastic ending. I think the whole relationship with Floyd is like kind of overblown, but I can see why back in, you know, the mid eighties, this is probably one of the first times that, uh, you know, it, you know, I would compare this to the, um, any kind of game with a buddy character like Primordia, you've got, uh, Crispin or in, you know, any, or in King's Quest V, you've got, um, Cedric. You know, any kind of buddy character that's going to die for your cause at some point. Um, oh, I think I just ruined a puzzle. Um, sorry about that. Um, <laughs> I think that but, Infocom uh, statute of, limita- uh, of uh, limitations has probably passed by now. Yeah, well, hopefully I didn't ruin the primordia thing for anybody, but um, <laughs> uh, play, play that game, too. Um, the, um, I'm just beyond impressed with it. So, yeah, moving on. Brian, mm-hmm. what have you been playing? Um, oh, so before I've been playing, I, I too played um, oh, Planetfall, yeah. but only when I was a little kid, and all I remember from that game is walking around halls and looking at all this stuff, and I'm like, oh, I'm immersed in this sci-fi space station kind of a right. thing. It's, that's great. So the furthest I ever got in that game was finding some sort of a med kit, and you open the med kit, that's right. and it has like three different colored oozes yeah. red, in the med red kit. Red goo, green goo, and brown goo. Oh, right. Okay, there you go. So I, I didn't couldn't figure out much what to do with those, but I did figure out the difference in flavors of all three of those because all I could think of to do was to eat them. Yeah, so... and that's all. And that's all you're supposed to do with them. You're kidding. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you totally solved the puzzle. <laughs> oh, um, I, I I meant to do that then. <laughs> that's awesome. 
That's great. Okay, I, I feel much more optimistic about my IQ as a child now. That's pretty good. <laughs> um, this week I have been playing, as uh, as mentioned here, uh, Lift Rousers, which is a game oh, by cool. Vlambeer. I'm playing it for PC. It might only be for PC, for all I know. Um, no, I think it's definitely on Vita, at least, it, and I think yeah. PlayStation 4 as well. Oh, okay. Exactly. So this game, it's really fun. It's basically, the you guys ever play the arcade game Time Pilot? I have, yes. Oh, it's one of my favorite arcade games. Amazing. Like top-down shoot-em-up kind of game. I think it's a Konami <laughs> top-down game. Yeah, exactly. Is it top-down or is it like side? I don't uh, know. It's like the weirdest perspective in that game. Yeah, I think it, yeah, it's like some weird three-quarter perspective. I can't remember now. Okay, so this game is basically Time Pilot with physics. That's the simplest way to put it. Yeah. Yeah, and it, you get one life. It's bloody hard, and it's, it's hard, it, yeah. utterly infuriating. And I keep going back to it <laughs> and and wishing I hadn't. But it's a really good game. Yeah, touch. I can't kill this humongous airship. Boy, is it hard. They're yeah, tough so, to kill. They're they're a yeah. They're a mother. I have I have yet to do so, but uh, mm-hmm. I love Vlambeer. They have such phenomenal attention to detail. A really top notch developer. Yeah, they um, like they seem to be like really good at taking like a really really simple core concept, adding a few things That's onto right. it, but not, not strapping too much onto it so it feels cluttered, and really just refining a really simple thing and getting that perfect rather than adding all crap that doesn't do anything and adds nothing. I love yeah, that too. I, I have such enormous yeah, appreciation just... for a game that has as few controls as possible, like as few buttons as possible, and mm-hmm. turning that into something with depth and strategy. So yeah. they're masters of that. I'm very I think impressed. that's a that's a perfect uh, perfect description of how Vlambeer works. Have either of you ever seen? I think his name is Jan Niemann. He's like the coder over at Vlambeer. Have you seen his presentation he gave to GDC last year, or is it somewhere else? Oh, I think so. That's the one where he's like ten ways to make your, your right. action game more engaging or whatever. More. Yeah, more and I think he talks about juiciness or 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 I can't remember game feel or something like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. there you go. I think those are both his words. That was a great talk. Yeah, it's fantastic. I think for anybody who's kind of into high-paced kind of games that are very much organized around, like, the tactility of the experience, he's, he's got it down pat. Oh, yeah, it's amazing how one little thing, like, when you compound a few little things together, how much better it all seems as a whole. Yeah, like, it was one, one, little things, like, I noticed in, in that video, he actually, is, I think he's live coding while, while he's doing this, and he shows you that, you know, for instance, if you're doing a side-scroller and you have a guy shooting a laser gun, like Commander Keen style, um, it's boring to have the laser bolts come out at the exact same speed and the exact same place. He's like, people get really excited when they either burst a little bit, um, and so you get like... Or you get like this kind of rhythm, rhythm going, and if you just like randomly give the bullets like a uh, Y value that's above or below themselves so that they kind of, you know, go up, down, up, down, up, down. And I was like, oh, my God, he's absolutely right. Like, Mm -hmm. it's crazy. You know, just like one tiny, tiny little change to the um, experience makes it huge for the player. Yeah, that's right. All these little details where if you didn't see them, you'd think that a little something was wrong, but if you, you couldn't put your finger on it. So he has a very deep understanding of what makes a game feel right, an action game feel right. And he did a great job of explaining it, too. Yeah, no, it was fantastic. Cool. So, and I also uh, played another game of theirs a little bit, Ridiculous Fishing for Android. Oh, yeah, yeah. I finished that. That was a great game. Yeah, I that's finished such, it. Yeah. All three of us have finished that, yeah? Yes. What a great ending. <laughs> it's a game Yeah, with, that's like, a really cute ending, yeah. No premise or anything. The ending is like this cutscene that's like two minutes long, and it's the only thing close to a cutscene in the whole game. It's it gives you all the backstory, adorable. like, at the end. 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Storing, story for a fishing game. You gotta love it. That game was is very silly and also very well executed. Does such a good Absolutely. job of uh, accelerometer controls and tilt. Um, that's all that's worth mentioning of this week, I guess. I just kind of piddled around with this and that otherwise. Uh-huh. Cool. And, of course, I did a little bit of research for our topic today, which uh, is one extremely near and dear to our ha- hearts, as uh, I'm sure everyone has already gathered from our hour-long preambles to each of our <laughs> podcasts thus far. And uh, I love how every other podcast on Earth takes 15 minutes to warm up, and ours takes a full hour. I know. I know. I know. <laughs> and we're not even warm yet. All so, right. our topic of the day is the very first computer games that we played. We've each compiled a list and a few notes about the very first games that we ever played. Um, I don't know if you guys had more luck than I did, but some of the games I remembered playing were very badly cataloged, if at all. Um, oh, so me I'm too. Yeah. Going by memory, and some of these are from like 1986-87. So, that's like almost 30 years ago, so I shall do my best to uh, regale you with the tales of my youth. But uh, my youth was a heck of a long time ago, so <laughs> don't expect too much. I'm so, excited. Ben, um, are you, would you like to lead us off with a kind of introduction to some of your earliest experiences? Because the cool thing is we're all like slightly different ages, so yeah. we're all going to have very different games to talk about, I think. Mm-hmm. I, I wonder if I should come later because my games are probably going to be like the latest in the in the scene. But I will say sure. that I had I I couldn't find one game that the very first game I ever played. Um, I was like a younger brother and I was like a young kid at school because I was born at the end of the year and the school year here starts in February, not in the middle of the uh, year. So like, hmm. I was always like I was watching a lot. I was like, but um, there was one game that I would join in on at school. I don't even know what sort of computer it was because I was like four years old. But my brother right. and I would would go into the library and they had this really old computer and they had like this. Did you guys ever play Choplifter? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. They had, like, this That's clone Speaking of, of infuriating Chop- games. <laughs> yes! <laughs> <laughs> but they had, like, this clone of Choplifter. I have no idea what it was called. Um, but I remember very, very vividly that my brother would, like, fly the ship and, like, shoot, like, the forward gun, and I would be, like, I would be the bomb man. So I would just, like, hit the tab key, and I would, like, try and drop the bombs <laughs> at the right time. I have no idea what it was called, but, like, I figure I should let you guys talk about your first games, like, because, and we'll, like, ramp up the years, hopefully, to, like, sure. I think my last like game that. is 95 or something like that, so, yeah. Okay, that's, oh, yeah, I, great. I, I was already collecting uh, life insurance by then. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> at the at the age of 10. <laughs> yeah. no, serious existential issues as whatever. a 10-year-old. Yeah. Uh, oh, no, wait. I was, I was older than that. Anyway, I think I'm the oldest guy here. Why, should I go first? Yeah, go for it. I want, I want to hear yours, old man. Okay, old man <laughs> Brian. Here we go. Choplifter should have been one on my list, because I played that on my uh, on my 8086 CGA uh, PC. Oh, wow. Nice. We should start off by talking about our first computer, per- perhaps, uh, before we go. Oh, yeah, I, have no like idea. Idea. I have no idea. Sorry. No idea. Oh, well, you can you can log off the podcast now. It's okay. Bye. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Bye. It was real fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, mine as I we had it for a long time, so I remember it pretty vividly. It was a compact Desk Pro 8086 machine. I think it was I I can't remember. It might have been like three and a half megahertz, three point seven megahertz, something like that. Wow! So, oh. like my computer now is as like a th- a thousand times. Yeah, I have like a four gigahertz PC, so that's like a thousand times the clock speed or whatever. Not right. other technology, notwithstanding. So, um. 
That uh, I love that machine to death. To death, played with it every single day. I got it when I was about six years old in like 1984. So mm-hmm. um, wow, that, that's that's pretty early. Brilliant machine. It had two uh, five and a quarter inch floppy drives and a ten megabyte hard drive. It was it one of the first home drive? PCs. Man, one of the first seems... home PCs that had yeah. a hard drive. I'm impressed wow. that I have a hard drive. Pretty cool. So because That's it has amazing. such a little hard drive, um, you would ask, I think I, while we were chatting earlier this week, Chris, you would ask me whether some of the games on my list were booters. Yeah. And so yeah. meaning meaning that you don't need an operating system. You just kind of stick it in like a cartridge in a console exactly. and turn it on. So my recollection was that none of my games were booters, but since I did a little bit of research, it seems like some of them were only booters. So it's very likely oh. that I'm just remembering wrong. Um, oh, you know, it's possible. Um, you know what's funny? Jim Leonard talked about this on Anatoly's podcast. Some games were booters back then, but what happened was cracking groups would get a hold of the game and decompile oh. it and recompile it as an EXE so you could actually run it in DOS. Yes, I've heard the same thing. Okay, well... Uh, so it's very likely that you're just a massive software pirate. Well, you know what? <laughs> I, I, will, I will not, uh, <laughs> I will not a, negate that as claim. As a four-year-old. <laughs> However, one of the few games that I have in a commercial box is Load Runner. Which will be the oh, first wow. one that I yeah, talk about. Wow. You guys ever play this one? Yeah, absolutely. I did. This is a brilliant game. This is a super, super cool game. It's like, I would classify it as an arcade game, as I suppose a lot of games of that sure. era were. But it was like a puzzle arcade game where you're this, I don't know, you're this guy with a laser a laser gun, and it's either like too heavy or I don't know what. The fact that you can only shoot it diagonally downward and shoot <laughs> yeah. blocks in the ground. So you're you're constantly being chased by enemies, these people running after you, and you have this laser gun, but you don't, you can't shoot them. All you can shoot is the ground underneath them. So you would shoot the ground, and they would fall in these holes, and then they would invariably climb out again. So you could shoot, like, a series of holes, one in front of the other, and they would keep falling into the next hole and the next one. And then these holes would sort of heal up. Like they kind of, like, yeah, fill in on themselves. That's right. So the goal was to capture and uh, encase these guys in uh, these healing bricks. While you collect, I forget treasures or something like that. Yeah, and, and the trick is you can run over the. Can't you run over their heads while they're when they've fallen into the hole? That's right, and you have to be yeah. careful not to fall in a hole yourself and not to touch anyone while they're climbing out of the hole. So, timing right. was important and planning was important. Very, very good game. I'm surprised we haven't seen a more recent iteration of it. Maybe it's just a little bit too old-fashioned. Did you remember, ever play? Uh, there was a remake done in the '90s, Brian. Did you ever play that? Yeah, by Dynamics, For Windows, right? Yeah, yeah. By, by Dynamics and Sierra. It was pretty good. I think I had kind of lost interest in it by then. Either that I, or I, I remember it having like really good, really good 2D artwork for some reason. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I remember being impressed. Like, it's been a long time since I've played it, but it was isometric. Am I right? In th- or diametric? It was, yeah, it was just like uh, side view. Okay. I thought... a, oh, I don't know about the remake, but the original was just. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, I'm talking about the arcade. remake now. I'm trying to think. Yeah, I think the remake been. was. I, I can't iso- remember. It's been a long time since I saw it. I'd be surprised if it was isometric. I'd be surprised if they changed the perspective. Yeah, I, I honestly can't remember. That's not I'm, my recollection. I'm, I might be thinking of something else, but um, I don't know. Anyway, that was a heck of a good game, though, and I played that one in in CGA super low resolution. So it was just oh. like, I think it was just like black cyan and magenta, just these three colors. So very simplistic yeah. graphics. That's all it's all I, you need, I, sure. I played I played it in monochrome on an Apple IIe at our school, and there was definitely like there was like forty copies of it flying around in our classroom. Mm. Um, so everyone had a copy of Load Runner. But I remember that I never saw the box in my life until I was much older. So I didn't know 
that he was actually shooting a laser into the ground. I always thought he was like dropping sugar or some sort of acid on the ground that would burn <laughs> through the floor. That probably <laughs> so makes confused. more sense. <laughs> like he and looks it, like, like congeals like... back into bricks. So that would probably make more sense. <laughs> yeah, plus like the Apple IIe's like native heart uh, um, video mode was like so low res, you could barely make out. He just like was was like six pixels wide by like three pixels tall. Mm-hmm. Oh, that, I, I have good memories of some old Apple IIe games as well, which didn't make my list because I never had that computer. But I remember this fantastic um, paper airplane kind of platforming game. Where you really? had to like fly around and catch breezes in vents. It was like the levels were uh, a house, and you would have to get your paper airplane from one side game. to the other. It was a oh, great, was great amazing. game. That was fantastic. Wasn't it good? It was very yeah, creative. That was, yeah, that was really, really good. I'd forgotten completely that that game existed. Like that's filled me with nostalgia. That's incredible. Yeah, that's what we're I've here actually, for. I've actually looked up Load Runner. It was Load Runner Two that I was thinking of. That was isometric or diametric in projection. Oh, really? I, yeah, that's crazy. I didn't realize that even existed. They, I'll give you guys Me a too. link if you want to check it out at some I, point. For some so, reason, yeah. I, I think I might have played Load Runner Returns or something, or Load Load Runners like Win, for Windows ninety five. I think I played it, and it was kind of back to the original, um, the original perspective. It might have been uh, called Load Returns. Load Runner: The Legend Returns, I think. The Legend Returns. That's the one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's a side view. Yeah. Okay, so that that go. was a really good one. Um. I've got one on my list here called Paratrooper, which someone on Twitter mentioned oh. recently, and I don't remember who it was. It was sort of like uh, Missile Command, where you are a turret on the ground, and there are planes dropping soldiers yes. who uh, open up parachutes and fall downwards. Ah. And uh, they, uh, you have to shoot either the people or the parachutes, and if you shoot the parachutes and the people scroll down to the, to the ground, they fall down and go splat and explode into a few little pixels. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and the you lose you have to just to, you have to just rack up as many points as you can. Um, if somebody reaches the ground, then they kind of stand next to your turret. And if like four or five of them hit the ground, as soon as the second one hits the ground, then he kind of climbs up and stands on the shoulders of the guy who landed before him. And so oh, if you have four or five of them, then they reach the top, before. and then your your turret explodes. So that was an arcade style one too, and mm. a really good one. Well, That's it's interesting, really you know, the, the, the games you've mentioned so far, it sounds like um, a lot of them are arcade conversions. Um, I think Maybe. I've been reading um, Doug Carlston's, have you guys ever heard of this book called Software People? Mm, don't think so. I don't think I have. It's, it's fantastic. It's like this, this uh, I dug around for years trying to find a book on the early history of the um, games industry, and Doug Carlston was the original owner of Broderbund, um, Mm-hmm. And Doug, Doug and his brother, I think Doug and something Carlston, I can't remember his name. Um, but Doug wrote a book in like 1986 or 87, which kind of details the very beginning of the game industry. And there's like, it's, it's an incredibly well-written book. It's like a good kind of sister book to Jordan Mechner's Prince of Persia Diaries because uh-huh. he's just kind of, a, you know, he started programming games because he was bored at work. And, you know, he talks about what it was like in the early industry and one thing it's like really clear is almost all of the games from like 1979 or 1978 to um, 1985-ish are all kind of like direct ports of our arcade games or even just direct ripoffs of them. Mm-hmm. And uh, Although yes, when, when, what were the Infocom days? They started. In yeah, the Infocom days were like a, yeah, Infocom's a huge exception to that. Yeah, um, you know those are those were like ports of. Of well, it, it, exception in a weird way because there were ports of um, of uh, what are they called? Like mini computer and uh, mainframe computer games. 
So uh, you know, yes, like adventure. Yeah, exactly. So it's kind of cool that you know it sounds to me like people are just trying to cram like a ton of uh, uh, graphical fidelity and pro- processing instructions into like what equates to like a one megahertz processor, which is huh. super cool. That is super Thank cool. Yeah. By the way, um, uh, us mentioning uh, text adventures and now these uh, low-powered devices reminds me that, Ben, did you have a story you wanted to share about TI yeah. calculators? I did. Oh, yeah, I, um, let's hear it. Yeah, I, I was talking, I was listening to one of your podcasts the other day, and Chris brought up uh, learning to program on one of the Texas Instruments calculators. And I actually, for people, those listening that don't know who I am, I actually like making games is my job now. And the very first games I ever coded, I was uh, in the 11th grade, I took introductory calculus. And, um, you know, for this, I got a TI calculator. I think it was a TI-83 from memory. <laughs> I still have the calculator somewhere sitting in a drawer. And I'm, awesome. I'm like, we got into the thing and they're like, this is how you differentiate an equation. And then they're like, they introduced us to like the concept of storing data in a matrix. And right. I looked in the manual of the, the calculator to like look up this thing about, a manual, uh, about the matrix. And they talked about all the different functions you can do with the matrix. And I'm like, you could build a game with this. So like, I failed wow. calculus because I spent the rest of my year like, <laughs> is that... Chris, you talked about like making a clone of like of um, Legend uh, of the Legend Red Dragon. Red Dragon. Did, <laughs> did you store like the levels, like the data format? Did you use the matrix format to like store the level design? No, because nobody knew at the time. I was the only person in the class that knew how to program this thing, and okay. I wasn't smart enough to read the manual to look up matrices. So <laughs> I didn't even realize I could use it as storable data. I was literally storing stuff in hundreds and hundreds of variables. Oh, no. That's <laughs> I had, like, this huge list. Oh, I had this, like, binder that I specifically had so I could keep <laughs> all of my variables listed. So, and I would cross oh. them out if I ever deleted a variable or had to update it. That's incredible. <laughs> but, like, I know, like, um, I don't know how, you got, how well you guys know the AGS scene, but there's a guy called Monkey0506, Michael, his name right. is. And he does, like, he does, like, porting of, like, he does games to Steam. He's worked for, like, Dave, like, get, helping him get games on Steam. He's currently working, I believe, for Alcave, getting their Channel House trilogy onto Steam. And, um, oh, wow. Which is a game that I've done a little bit of work on in the past. And, um, he, we, he and I were talking one day. I was like, "Oh yeah, I learned to code in TI Basic." He's like, "I learned to code in TI Basic too." Are you kidding me? And like, <laughs> it was the and oh, and my girlfriend like also learned to code on TI Basic. Like all those people of like that era, like picked up these calculators. Yeah, and so oh, the wow. worst thing was is you had to select commands from a like a list. Like you'd scroll That's right. down the you list. Couldn't... Like, oh, it was. I was the wondering worst how you input stuff way. on that little thing. It's the worst way of coding. It was terrible because the menus, the, the menus were all like hierarchical, so you had to dig through menus yes. just to find one yep. specific command. And Ooh. you, like, I spent like three months programming stuff, and like, you know, because um, <laughs> you, you're trying to build like a basic racing game or something like that on a calculator, and it would take forever to like just to like to test a thing, you know. And they had like like the tiniest amount of memory, like it would slow oh, down yeah, at the I... drop of the hats. So, it was yeah, um, but, uh, in my in my memory, um, if I could recall correctly, I think I had a TI eighty five, which was kind of pretty much equivalent to an eighty three. I think it had a little tiny bit more memory, but I was uh-huh. trying to cram Legend of the Red Dragon, including everything, programming and all of the text in the game, in I think twenty kilobytes or less. Yeah. That- <laughs> <laughs> 
I think we. And I just ran out of memory. At some point, I couldn't. I couldn't do more encounters in the game because I ran out of memory. Oh. Mm. I think we had Actually, like twelve kilobytes. I I could be totally wrong. Wow. Anyway. No, that that sounds right. I think the eighty three had around 10, twelve to thirteen because I remember there was a function you could hit. I think it was called mem or something, and it would tell you how much free free ram or uh, free rom or rem. I guess ram you had left. Hmm. But like, that's so, a heck of um, a lot of memory for for calculations. Like, they're they're good calculators. Yeah. Like them. Yeah. They're like. They're like, like I used the calculator for years, like just messing around with stuff. Like you could program like a graphical representation of chaos theory, and I followed the thing. That's in like, a, oh my god, you did that like, too? I did, yeah, I, I did that exact same thing. I had like this yeah. one where it would it would like recursively paint uh, chaotic triangles, or I guess yeah, yeah, triangles. yeah, yeah. They are <laughs> that's yeah, really okay. funny. Man, this is really, like, that's bringing the nostalgia out of me. But, yeah, so, like, I would, like, build these games and stuff. And my math teacher was a fantastic guy, Mr. Ford. And, it, like, I basically, like, cheesed off in class all day long. And he wasn't happy about it. But he's like, what am I going to do? You know, the, the boys, you know, there's nothing else I could do. So he had, like, um, an overhead projector, which is, like, such old technology now in my, like, I think, and like, but he had a thing where you could plug the TI calculators in and the screen of the calculator would appear like on this see-through no glass thing that would oh, project wow. on like the whiteboard. That's amazing. So like, I made like a five-minute movie which took me months. Like it took <laughs> months. And he like, too cool. he like paused math class to like show like every like to watch the movie. It was I like, That's and I had crazy. I had like a, a DVD style menu with like outtake features and stuff. It was ridiculous, you know. But <laughs> that's a cool teacher. That's a so, cool thing to do. But that's a very yeah. cool teacher. That's, yeah, he was man. Totally he was insane. such a great teacher. He like he got me into like Red Dwarf and like all the cool music. Like yeah, he was he was such a great guy. Like I probably owe a lot to him. Like just instead of like being a grumpy old teacher like but learn calculus. Like yeah, he can fail calculus because he's gonna make games one day. You know. That's amazing. Well, I, I owe a lot to my physics teacher who let me get away with yeah, uh, a lot. I, um, I, I did I tell you the story, Brian? Um, <laughs> this is in grade eleven. We had these physics classes that required us to use a calculator. So I had my eighty-five with me, and everyone else had TI calculators in the class. I think there was one kid with like a sharp, which is really weird. Um, they they do this reverse notation. Uh, anyway, sorry, that's not important. Um, but he had a policy that you had to reset your calculator before every exam. Um, so okay. he would walk, he would walk over to your desk and, and he'd say, okay, let's have it. So he'd hit the second function reset button and it would wipe all of your memory. So nobody could cheat on the exam, you know, storing information. And I, I did like the, it's funny cause I never cheated once. I don't know why it didn't occur to me to, to cheat on exam. I just didn't want to cheat on exams. But all of my buddies wanted to cheat. So what they'd do is they'd go home for three or four days and they would manually store all of their notes in the calculator, just like, like laboriously typing it in every single bit of notes for the exam. And then what I created at home was, I called it a program called Fake Reset. And it would emulate, <laughs> <laughs> it would emulate the reset function. So if you, hit, if you ran the program, it would look like it was like doing this little uh, waiting, waiting, waiting symbol and then say memory cleared. XXX bites freeze. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's I, like, pretty clever. Yeah, so I, I copied it to the, they have this little link table and you could copy programs from calculator to calculator. And I remember uh -huh. by the end of the term it had spread through the whole class and everyone was using the fake reset <laughs> things so they could cheat on this poor guy's physics exams. Oh, that's <laughs> terrific. You know the um you know the cables that you 
you know the cables that used to link them, Chris? That like you had like yeah. this one foot cable that would like stick between them. Exactly, it would look like like a tiny headphone cable. Yeah, we had like um, we downloaded um, a, a chess game for like the calculator, so you could play chess, right. and you could plug two calculators in and play chess against like your friend. You know. Oh but, man, um, that's amazing! It had multiplayer. Ca- yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. And, um, but the cables were so short that my one of my friends got an Ethernet cable and like stripped it and like took like the the cables out of that <laughs> and like took the ends of this thing and built like a ten foot long cable to go between these two cables. Like, I'm... that's awesome! I can't believe that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Like, you know, I have so many memories associated with that calculator because, like, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for those things. So when I heard you talking about it on the on the podcast the other day, like, I was I got filled with like the warm fuzzies, like so much nostalgia, like washed. Going it's back, crazy. I, like, if I think other. about it, that's my first right. development system I ever used my whole life. Yeah, <laughs> have you ever recent years and tried using it again? Uh you know what? I had it. Ah, geez, I had it for, it got me all the way through university, and I had it for 15 years, and then it just disappeared. I can't remember what happened to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I There's emulators, that. though. What's that? There are emulators that you can get for those specific oh, yeah. devices. I, yeah. I, I know, like, the emulators to use today are technically not legal. You have to, like, download a ROM from somewhere to even use them. Um, mm. Yeah, so Apple's, Apple's cracked down on that as far as I know, unfortunately. Oh, that's too bad. Ooh. Wow. Well, Sorry. No, I, Sorry for the I, I, tangent, Brian. <laughs> oh, that's quite all right. I actually found uh, on calculators, it, this, is a, this is a little programming trick that works on any calculator ever made, actually. Okay. I, I can't remember what exactly the combination of buttons you press, but if you do this one specific calculation, you can get your calculator to say boobs. I kid you not. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Classic. I know. <laughs> I actually have a, <laughs> I have a story about uh, grade eight where we had a, a DOS computer in the corner of our room. I guess this was 1990 or 1991 or so. Right. Um, this was around the time we were having this big scare for something known as the Michelangelo virus. Oh, it yeah. Was, I don't know whether there was anything to this, but it was this humongous scare. It was in all the newspapers. It was on TV. Everyone was freaked the hell out about the Michelangelo virus. Um, yeah. The Norton Company, who already made an antivirus product, they made this extra one that only scanned for and removed one virus. It was like the Michelangelo edition for like 15 bucks or something, and they made it. Oh, my God. That's incredible. So we... My computer nerd friends and I went to the back of our classroom and programmed this little thing in BASIC. And I think, wasn't the purpose of the BASIC programming language like that it was supposed to be specifically for learning how to program? Yeah, exactly. It was was intentionally high level, yeah. Mm -hmm. So we put together this BASIC script that simulated a DOS prompt. And so it had like, you know, C colon, uh, C colon slash... uh, uh, greater than, and a little blinking cursor, and it would allow you to type in a few things, but that would go into a variable. It was like input a dollar or something right. like that, dollar a. Right. And no matter what you typed in, it would return it to you backwards, and then the screen would blank out, and then there was like uh, a command, print, I am the Michelangelo virus, ha ha ha, <laughs> semicolon. And so, and then go to, go to 10. So that is awesome. just, no matter what you typed in, it would print out, I am the Michael of 
the Michelangelo virus, ha ha ha, and then without a, a carriage return or whatever, it would just print it again and then over and over and over and over until you press control C, <laughs> which nobody knew was a command. And so we uh. just walked away after making this. We kind of set our little mouse trap and walked away and then had to stifle our laughter as somebody frantically called the teacher over. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, we, we caught this, we caught this virus. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. So last Memories. story about reprogramming people stuff. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we had the, on the same machines we played these load runner games. There was also a game, a uh, painting game. I think it was called um, uh, Logo Paint or something. Um, it was this. It was meant to be very much like basic. Logo was this language that uh, was made back in the seventies or eighties. It was made to be a hmm. teaching language. Um, uh, I was only like, looking at Logo like two days ago. Oh, you're kidding! Of... Cool. Uh, no, do, do you cool. do you remember enough about it to describe it to everybody? No, I don't. I really don't. I only had a quick look at it. It's really, really simple. It's made to, it was actually made to program a little robot on the floor. So you could say like, go forward 10, turn right, go forward 10, put 10 down. And then, so the idea was the robot would like draw you, um, draw you a little thing on the floor if you sent it these commands, kind of like the Lego Mindstorm stuff that they have now. Um, Mm -hmm. But uh, when, when we were kids, Logo got converted into a game, uh, a program on the computer where you could just say like, so it's like the first, technically the first vector-based paint program I ever used, and you could paint stuff on the screen by just saying like 10, you know, um, right 20, turn right, um, that kind of stuff. So people would use them to paint these like psychedelic geometric figures. But the best thing about that game was the whole thing was programmed in BASIC so what I did one night, uh, well, actually, not one night, uh, one day, it must have been after school, because I was there in the lab by myself, I took everyone's diskettes, there was, everyone had their own disk, uh, there was 30 disks in the room, and I edited all 30 disks so that when you <laughs> booted up the game, <laughs> it would be like, you know, the menu system would be like, create a new game, or create a new painting, load a new painting, exit, all of them were like, just like, fuck you, you're a piece of crap. <laughs> and I like spent hours, you know, writing this over and I just like will never forget this day. The next morning I came in, I put all the discs back in the box. The next morning I came back in and I just like sat there and waited for everyone to boot their game so I could just like see their reactions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. A classic big I love it. Awesome. I love how you guys are like telling these stories like I did this when I was a kid. I like the last time I wrote like a batch file to like put it in someone's startup to like pretend to be a virus or something like that was like a year ago. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't have grown up. <laughs> like I was, I was at like, I was like a roadie at like some theater and we were like, they're trying to get it set up for like this show at like 4am or something like that. And I was like, I'm sick of setting this stupid show up. I'm going to do something to like the main producer lady's computer. <laughs> <laughs> That's classic. So, so I'm still like the 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 nine year old kid that you guys are like. Oh yeah, I've grown up. <laughs> I have not. <laughs> That's why you fit in so well on the podcast. Ben. Yeah. We're, we're a bunch of scallywags, huh? Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, anyway, beautiful. We got through one okay. of Brian's games. <laughs> oh yeah, that's two in good. fact. Two. Okay, yeah, we did well, two. That's incredible. Well, 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 if we are quite finished, gentlemen. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, <laughs> 
Um, Chris mentioned uh, arcade ports, and so I ha- yeah. I did play a few of those. But my favorite one, and one that my dad even got into, even though it's pretty rare that he would enjoy any uh, computer game, was Burger Time. Oh, that was a great game. I love it. I love it. Uh, you guys try this one? I don't yes, think I, I know in fact, I just played this a few weeks ago. Oh, so this this is a game that I think is just so much in the spirit of unbridled creativity and experimentation um, that was so prevalent in the early '80s arcade scene. This Definitely. is a game. Um, it's a it's like a side view game, and I guess you might call it a platformer. It's like a climbing around on ladders and walking yeah, across. Yeah, it's a platformer platforms. without jumping. Yeah, no jumping. Which uh, uh, I should have mentioned, Load Runner had no jumping as well. That's um, right. It's a game where you are a chef and. Uh, on this huge, like, kind of construction girder framework sort of a thing is the individual parts of a hamburger kind of stacked on top of each other, one part of a hamburger on each tier. So, like, the bottom tier would have the bottom bun, and above that would be a burger, and above that would be, like, a tomato, and above that would be lettuce, and above that would be the top of the bun. And so, and they're all enormous. So you have to walk around kind of walking over each of those ingredients of the hamburger. And it, when you walk over the whole, uh, the whole ingredient, it kind of falls down one tier. And if there was a, uh, an ingredient underneath that, it would kind of bump that ingredient down to the tier below it and, vice, and uh, so on and so on until in the end you've walked over all the ingredients and it collects at the very bottom. So there were three or four of these hamburgers on the screen and sort of like Pac-Man, you would get chased around by these little enemies, but the enemies were all food. There was like a, a little egg. There was like a, an egg, uh, like a, a broken egg. There was Wasn't a, it like a, a little sausage a guy pickle. or something? Yeah, there was a, there was a hot dog. There was hot a dog, yeah. And they they have like little faces and like these big floppy feet and they would walk around after you and if they catch you then you're dead or whatever. Yeah, so and like you had the, a, didn't you have like a salt or pepper shaker you could like shake to like kill them? That's right. So you couldn't attack them directly, <laughs> but you had a, a pepper shaker. So they would like stand there and sneeze or something. That's right. Oh yeah, that would stun them. Yeah. Which gives you a moment to get away. And so the I've... idea was that you would have them chase you while you're walking over these ingredients. And if the ingredients fell down a tier, then the enemies would fall down with it. And it would cause more weight that would actually cause it to go all the way down instead of oh, just down one more really? tier. Oh, really? Wow. Or you could squish them if you made an ingredient fall yeah, under, I re- underneath Yeah, I remember you. squishing them. Yeah, that's cool. So, yeah, you could have like a, a, a hot dog egg burger. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> what you squished in there. I love that, like, all these old arcade games, when you break them down into, like, the things you're actually representing, they sound like a really surreal fever dream, like being chased around by hot dogs <laughs> while you're making a giant hamburger, a chef climbing Are you kidding? That's, ladders. That's, my, mm-hmm. that, that's every dream I've ever had. <laughs> well, these are just begging for fan fiction, aren't they? <laughs> I don't know. There should be more chased, Burger Time fan fiction. Being okay, I can talk, giant it, hot talk dogs. about, like, meta, meta hot dog fiction. Um... I, oh my God, really? <laughs> I, I wasn't I, expecting to hear that combination of words in that order today. <laughs> I seriously, I, I guess it's nonfiction. I seriously, I was, I was um, at a, a hot dog joint a few months ago that had Burger Time inside of it. Think about oh, wow. that. Wait and, a minute, yeah. <laughs> That's it's like, a hot that's dog like getting joint. a Pepsi in the Coke factory. Exactly. They don't sell them. They don't sell hot burgers. So I, I played the living shit up and in Burger Time, and it was so good. It's, it's an incredibly hard game, though. Um, Pretty hard, yeah. I got, I got like maybe to the second screen where you have four burgers instead of three burgers or something. I can't remember how the level layout was. Me but the coolest, the coolest part of that game is 
The um, part of my day job is being a, a dude who repairs and, and, and fixes arcade games. And one of the things I love about that game, this is not the PC version, but the arcade version, is the cabinet's actually the shape of Peter Pepper, the guy who's actually, you're, you're like the, the chef. <laughs> That's his name. Yeah. The, I forgot that was his name. Yeah, the top of his hat is like, it's like one of those French chef hats, and it's actually like mm. the size of the arcade cabinet. So you look, the, the side of the arcade cabinet's like this cute, floofy French hat. It is like wow. nice. totally amazing, yeah. That's awesome. That's terrific. <laughs> oh, I love it. Well, that's a that's a great game, and it was a really good uh, port of it as well. It looked a little bit wonky. It didn't look exactly like the arcade version. It was in CGA, so it was just like four okay. colors, whereas the arcade must have been at least eight or sixteen or so. Yeah, I think, I think the the arcade was like really, really, really nice. I think it was at least sixteen. Mm-hmm. And this was a game that was ported to like everything under the sun, and it's probably you can probably still find it on app stores or whatever. I'm sure. Oh, I'm mm-hmm. sure. Yeah, uh, great game. Love it. Um, another one I played that I remember under a different name than what I could find it uh, when I did my research. It was one called Decathlon. Oh, Decathlon. Um, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Microsoft Decathlon. So I've seen it. Uh, when I did my research, I saw it called Microsoft Decathlon, but I don't remember any mention of Microsoft when I played it. And I saw, like, a YouTube video of it, and it showed Microsoft Decathlon. But I remember it just saying, if not just Decathlon, then perhaps Bruce Jenner's Decathlon. Oh, okay, cool. Is that, is, so, Was it, like, a different different games than Microsoft's version? It was absolutely identical otherwise. So Weird. I don't know if Microsoft just bought it and rebranded it or what. Mm. I think that's I'm probably sure. exactly what happened because Microsoft was famous for buying games and rebranding them like um, Microsoft Flight Simulator. Wasn't that a sub-logic sim before it became Microsoft Flight Sim? Oh, was it? I don't know. I, I think I they think just bought the been. whole I franchise, think... didn't they? Yeah, I think they bought yeah. the whole studio. Oh, that's right. Yeah, exactly. Mm. I remember... See, I have a copy of Sublogic Flight Simulator which is un... un- in uncannily identical to Microsoft Flight Sim. Okay, so I guess that's just something they did because that would have been around the same era as well. Yeah, exactly. It was like when Microsoft was releasing stuff in those kind of like ugly-looking boxes. Hmm. Oh, I, I assume so. I don't think I ever owned this game, but I had it. Ah. So this was a game. <laughs> it was another kind of arcade-style game where you have to participate in different uh, athletic sporting events um, for a decathlon. Although I don't think I think decathlon usually includes swimming or something, and this didn't have swimming. But it had like uh, it had running games. Where you would have to like alternate between the one and two buttons and press them real fast, and that's oh. what. Uh, that's what I'm, I've been told many times in my life that I'm really good at pressing buttons fast for rapid-fire <laughs> shooting games. And so, no doubt, this was the game where I learned that, that important yeah. life skill. Value do you, do you, uh, it's a great skill. Do you guys have, like, a technique that you, that you use specifically to do that? I don't think so. The only technique I've ever been aware of is the one where you can cheat if you use, like, a plastic ruler. Have you guys ever seen that for Nintendo games? What? Or no, how, how does that work? <laughs> There's... There, so there used to be a game called Track and Field. Yeah, I remember it game. really yes, well. Of course, yeah. It's a really good arcade game. And so it had these stupid games where you would have to uh, run real fast. And you just do that by, you know, every footstep was one tap of a button. Uh-huh. And there was a way to cheat where if you had a, it had to be a plastic ruler, you would hold it down to the top of the arcade cabinet control area with one hand. Okay. And you would kind of, you would put it over top of the buttons. And then with the other hand, you would lift up the end of the ruler and then let go of it and it goes like <laughs> and it presses the button really really fast and you just keep plucking it like a guitar sort of over and over and over and it's, I can't it's like believe that twice as fast 
It's like twice as fast as the, his human reflexes. So it was guaranteed that you would win. So if you did that in the arcade and it was single player, you would be like, uh, you would be like uh, Speedy Gonzalez or like Sonic the Hedgehog. You would just go pow, awesome. right yeah. to the end, and then you'd be like tapping your foot, waiting for the <laughs> the computer player to catch up to you. That's, That's cool. hilarious. I've never seen anybody cheat like that. The only cheat I ever saw was for Nintendo's uh, track and field. Do you guys remember they had this thing called a power pad? Oh yeah, yeah. The the stumpy. Yeah, uh, it was like a. Oh, I've, yeah, I've seen it. I've never used. I've never seen one in real life, but I've seen. Yeah, it was like this. Like um, for anybody who's never seen a power pad, it's kind of like a DDR pad, um, but like mm-hmm. ten years before DDR. And I remember it's like the game Twister. Yeah, exactly. And, and it was like a thin sheet of plastic over top these micro switches. I think they were. Um, and the worst thing was, I remember we got yelled at by one of my friend's parents because what I learned was. If you tried to run on the spot for track and field, there's no way you, your, your feet don't move that fast. Um, your leg muscles don't move that fast. But what you could do is lay down on the floor and tap it with both of your hands. And I remember, like, just bashing the living shit out of this thing. And <laughs> this guy's dad walked in. He's like, hey, you guys are going to wreck that. And then he, like, took, <laughs> took it away. And this poor kid, because I was like, this poor kid got his, like, track and field pad taken away because I was, like, destroying it with my, my fists. Yeah. It was so horrible, and I like—I don't think he ever got it back. Oh no, that's smarter than my technique for that thing. I tried it at a friend's house, and I—I I wasn't clever enough to figure that out. All I could figure out to do was sort of to tense my body and do this kind of quivering oh. power squat, <laughs> which would allow me to press it really fast if I made myself like rigid. It was not a very flattering position. I think I'm you sure. just uh, just coined a new term: quivering power squat. <laughs> Try it at home, kids. Maybe, maybe on an empty stomach. <laughs> I, love, I love like I love the crazy things that people will try to like get better at video games, like the plastic ruler and the quivering power squad. I know, yeah. The a lot more fun than today, where although well, we all have the day, I guess if we've all tried the Nintendo Wii, there's that moment where you the the facade is broken and you realize that you don't actually have to swing your whole arm like a tennis ball. Right. You can just kind of do this little, yeah. eh, little kind of flick of the wrist. Yeah, so, it was um, kind of the opposite. Oh, uh, no kidding! Days. Yeah, you kind of had to, you had to <laughs> exaggerate your movements instead of simplify. <laughs> uh, I want like All I right. want a, I want like a t-shirt with like a silhouette of the quivering power squat, like someone doing it on it, and just the words <laughs> "quivering power." I would wear that. I think if you even saw my silhouette, you would probably go blind. <laughs> legally wear that as a shirt. I'm sorry to say. I want I want this like guy's face to be like straining when he's doing it like like bright red straining <laughs> and like the high school meter like going off the chart. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad to have shared that with you guys. <laughs> All right, what else do we got? Oh, I have one that I hope you both played called Space War. This is a classic. No, classic I've game. never played. Space War, what is it? Space War, oh man. I think this was a game that was originally made, it might have been in like the 60s or the 70s, Oh, to be like, the ori- like the original, original Space War? The, like the original Space War, but I had a Holy version crap. for DOS. Wow. It, was this actually the very first video game ever made? I believe it, it is. Like, it was, it was made like on a mainframe. 10 mainframe, yeah. So, this is a game where there are two spaceships, it's like a player versus player combat game, where there are two spaceships, each spaceship controlled by a different player, and you can rotate your spaceship, 
and you can move your spaceship in space, and you have to blow up the other guy. And what makes it interesting is that there's a planet in the middle of the whole play field, and it has a gravitational pull. And so it's wow. uh, if you've ever played um, Star Control, that oh, game right. is very directly influenced so by Space this, War. Is this just like basically like asteroids without the asteroids? And like two it's like yeah, it's like uh, competitive asteroids, basically. That's incredible. I've That's never cool. heard of that. That's awesome. oh, it is a very good game, and I mean, all it it's it really has its charm if you have a second player. There were AI versions, but it, this game was all about smacking the other guy and trash talking and all course, that kind yeah. of stuff. So yeah, and you I could think turn left, you could turn right, also... you had boost and you had shoot, and that's all the controls there were. So oh, so there man. was a there was there was a boost too. Well, by boost I mean like propulsion. Oh, I see. Okay, okay. Like yeah, that button. totally sounds like asteroids with gravity. It really yeah. is, and so you had to you could you could smack into your opponent, and that didn't do any damage. But maybe you could bump them into the planet, which would kill them. And I think it was one shot kills the other guy. And it was the sort of a game where if you shoot off the left side of the screen, then it kind of wraps around and appears on the right. So wow. it was just the perfect little game that was really not much more complicated than tennis or something like that. But uh, it was totally fair and. Just uh, you know, you you get it instantly when you watch it once. Yeah, yeah, that sounds cool. I had no idea they they even ported that to the PC. Spacewar.exe is how I remember it. It was just one wow. self-encapsulated little file that was probably like ten kilobytes or something, and it had pretty cool graphics. Each of the ships looked different. So wow, controlled crazy. by the keyboard, of course. Yeah, so was it was it monochrome could, or was uh, it in CGA? It was monochrome. It was just white. That was wow. the only color. So if you're a real jerk, you could like overload the keyboard buffers by holding down one of your keys, and the other player would be like, "How come I can't turn left?" I'm like, "I don't know. You must not be getting good at this game." That's such a big move. I used to do that in One Must Fall 2097. <laughs> uh, oh man, I, I had a joystick by then. Uh, I love that game. But, oh yeah, yeah. That's Space War. All right, I'll try wow. to get through these pretty quickly. Um, let's see. There was one I played called Creative Contraptions. Oh. This was another game that I owned, uh, and it came in this really cool blue box. And the boxes of these days, this was like 84, 85? No, 85 or 86, I guess. The boxes were like kind of the same proportion as a hardcover book. They were like narrow and oh, really? like two-thirds the height and width of uh, a bigger game box that you would see in a few wow. years later. Um, I have like, contraptions. I have a What's few that? of those old boxes still, Brian. Like in my oh, collection. great. Yeah. I, I think we must have sold them at garage sales or some other egregious oh. crime. I haven't been able to find any of them. And they they would be we had Frogger, we had all these like really Oh man, ones. Frogger. No, no, yeah. Oh, that's amazing. That's, that's I a, should have put that on my list, but that, that was a good one too. Yeah, I love I everyone's played Frogger. I mean, are you kidding me? Oh yeah, that's that's one of the most recognizable arcade franchises ever. Yeah. So so creative contraptions. This I was surprised that I did not see Jeff Tunnel Tunnel Tunnel, I don't know how you pronounce yeah. his name. I was surprised that I did not see his name associated with this because it is more or less exactly the same as The Incredible Machine. It's like one of those Rube Goldberg uh, fill in the blanks with these ridiculous parts in order to accomplish some kind of a goal on the other side where you have to do this kind of mechanical trickery of of really silly things like cats and hot air balloons and stuff. Uh How did, was it, logic puzzle. Did did you, were you able to drag and drop? Like how, how would you move icons and stuff around on the screen? I don't really remember. Um, it was before the days of computer mice, so it was completely right. keyboard-driven. I guess there was either a grid or just certain... I think it might have actually been... There were slots, and you could put a certain machine somewhere. Ah. Uh, you, you could put different machines into individual slots. It was a game for kids, so it was quite simplified. Way, way easier than uh, Incredible Machine ever was. 
Okay. Yeah, that's because, my vague recollection. You know, it's funny. Um, I think I've actually know of this game because of that book by Doug Carlson I've been reading. Um, mm. I could be wrong, but it was actually a Looking Glass software game. Whoa! Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Like wow. I think I, I think I don't know if it's the same Looking Glass that was Looking Glass, like who became you know the Looking Glass, but mm. I remember in the book it mentions it as a looking glass game and it predates like the incredible machine by years and i think the whole idea behind it was they wanted to teach kids boolean logic or boolean logic okay wow they and i think you know what was... i'm looking this up on moby games right now and it okay. says looking glass software inc oh that's so that's incredible. not looking glass studio could it be those studios okay oh, yeah, right. i don't know if okay. it's like a paul nureff and uh yeah I I, are you able to find any like credits on it i'm very curious moby games has the name of the company but when i click it it's kind of blank ah uh, too bad that must be a really really obscure game yeah well that was another one we owned and man i wish i had that I wish yeah I had all of these i um i'm pretty sure if it's the same game referred to um it was meant yeah as a teaching tool to teach programming which is kind of crazy I can see that, because it's totally a logic puzzle kind of a game. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Yeah. Wow, you, you right, really gonna... hit some obscure stuff. That's amazing. That's awesome. I guess, I guess so. Well, I'll, I'll uh, end, end it off then. I'm going to cut my list short just for the sake of time. But sure. uh, the last one I will mention is the original Police Quest. Oh, awesome. Which was okay. the first adventure game that I had ever played, not including the Infogom games that I, that I failed to do well. <laughs> um, love police quest this like gave me a lifelong respect for police officers even though you had to do these you know we made fun of this on our last podcast where the notorious thing is that you actually have to walk oh, around yeah, your car fine. every time before you get into it otherwise you always get a flat tire um, <laughs> so it came with uh, game manuals that were sort of like police manuals and you had to familiarize yourself with all these procedures and if you didn't do them in the game then the worst possible thing that could happen always did happen did, um, did Police Quest 1 have radio codes where you'd have to, like, radio in um, yes. things that were... Yeah, okay, I couldn't remember. That's right. So I remember like, yeah, thinking those were really impressive. The, yeah, yeah, it had, yeah, a list of, like, 30 of them. So I remember, like, 10-4 means, yes, I received your transmission and I understand it, and, like, 10-20 means uh, your current location, and 10-99 right. is an emergency uh, 9-1-1 uh, turn on your flashers and get here ASAP. Mm. I, I remembered a lot more of them as a kid, too. It was really wow. cool knowing all of this stuff. I remember that your your nightstick that you club people with was not just a nightstick. It's the PR-44 or something like that. <laughs> so it goes into all this technical detail, which I loved. It kind of gave a little bit more depth into an otherwise, I guess, shallow-ish kind of a game. Yeah, um, well, I mean, was was, a... the, the first one's kind of goofy, right? Like, it's uh, wasn't that programmed well, by Al Lowe? There are little trademarks of Al Lowe here and there. One joke that I stole as a little kid, and all these uh, adults would always chuckle at it and kind of look uncomfortable, was one that you hear at the beginning of the game, which uh, was in the locker room of the of the cops. Uh, how do you tell the difference between an oral and a rectal thermometer? <laughs> of course, the answer is by the taste. <laughs> that's so. That's so uh, Al Lowe kind of a joke. And there was like a chief, the chief of police. His name is uh, is like Commander Whipplestick or something right. silly like that. And there's like a a guy called the Gremlin who like puts a chicken on his desk and it's like flapping around and pooping in his drawers and, and his feathers all over the place. There's oh, a lot of really silly stuff, but it's otherwise a, a, a straight up uh, kind of a investigation and uh, 
issuing citations to lawbreakers kind of a game. Wow, that's pretty lighthearted compared to like Police Quest 2 and 3, which are just so insanely violent and graphic. Yeah, they were, actually. I can't remember whether the first one... I know the second... Yeah, I think in the first one, you're just a craft, traffic cop. That's and right. the second, Se- second one, you, one you get involved like, in... Homicide. Yeah, exactly. You start a homicide, and then you go into, like, Vice for uh, drugs or something. I, I really like this series of games. And the first one was tricky because it was... What was the first Sierra engine? Was it SCI? Yes, uh, AGI. Sierra, AGI, Okay. And so that was the one where you had to, you know, you would walk around with the keyboard, and what a revelation it was for me having played previously just um, Infocom games, and I would type, go north, and oh, the yeah. response is, just go, just walk there. I'm like, what the heck do you think I'm trying to do? And it took me a while <laughs> to figure out that I'm supposed to press the keyboard arrow keys in order to actually walk somewhere. So that was like a, a little firework that went off in my brain that really excited me about the possibilities of the adventure game genre. That's very cool, um, but, because I, I, you know, not a lot of people today would appreciate that that was actually like a major advancement in the, the, the idea of an adventure genre, was that you could mm-hmm. actually see your character moving on screen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they, they called cool. these graphic adventures, or three, I think they actually called them 3D, 3D adventures. graphic adventures, they yeah. 3D. <laughs> That's right. So they, that, that kind of made me understand why they called that. That was exciting. Yeah. And so the, the most memorable thing about that game is that's probably why I learned how to type as quickly as I can today, because when you, it was the kind of game where you would walk around, and if you wanted to do something, your character to do something, you would have to type, pick this up, or draw, draw a gun, or uh, right. inspect this object. And so you, your interface, uh, the game didn't pause while you were typing. You would have to learn to type something pretty quickly. And there were a few timer-based puzzles where if you didn't do it in time, you'd get run over by a car or shot by someone or a <laughs> suspect would escape. And so I, I got to know very quickly where the positions of all the keys on the keyboards were. And I'm a really did you fast play that now, on CGA when you were a kid, or did you get a VGA or sorry EGA adapter by that point? I started off my first computer at a CGA um, Adapter. We had that computer for many years until I think we got a 286 later that had VGA. So I skipped EGA entirely. Wow. That's so amazing. it was just a. That's a big jump. Oh, actually, no. My my seems to remember my very first. Yeah, first we had was it a monochrome monitor that was orange, and then we bought a, a oh an amber monitor, yeah. a four color monitor later on, or a. a no, I, the monitors didn't have a limitation on colors. I don't think we bought an RB, RGB monitor later right. on, and that could show the colors. Right. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. So, okay, I'll mention one last thing, actually, which was that my Compact Desk Pro machine came with uh, a few floppy disks that had these basic games in them, and uh, it sort of had, like, it came on one, the the one I used the most came on one floppy, and it just had a whole menu of different things you could do. It had, like, you would press one, it would play you a song, and it would give you this little bouncing ball karaoke thing where it would do these, like, uh, American folk songs or something. It had games of Battleship and uh, low-resolution art, and it was all uh, it was all just kind of stuff to demonstrate the capabilities of the computer. But uh, right. I played with that a whole bunch just because it captivated me and was so like visually stimulating. Yeah, it's funny how those old basic games were actually surprisingly playable. Did either of you ever play a game called Gorillas? Yeah, yeah. That, the 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 was old, it GW Basic. Yeah, GW Basic Gorilla. Yeah, I love that one. That came with <laughs> DOS four or DOS five, I think. DOS five. <laughs> Yeah, I, I played the hell out of that game. Mm-hmm. Love that one. All right, I'm going to cut it off there just to give you guys a chance to uh, flap your jaws for a little while. Sure. Um, I guess we'll go semi-chronologically. I'll I'll skip over some of the really old stuff I was going to talk about. Um, I'll talk about some of the weirder, more obscure things then. Um, one of the things, it wasn't quite a game. I don't know what to call it. I guess you'd call it a demo. 
Um, I was over at a friend's place. This is before my family got a computer, so it would be about 1988, 89. Um, one of the early, got a PC, I should say, because we had an older computer before that, but it was a Tandy Trash 80. Um, the, I went over to a friend's house, and he had this Zenith XT. It was, I just remember, I was like, wow, Zenith makes computers too? And he showed me uh, what I thought was the coolest thing I'd ever saw in my entire life, and I've never seen it since, and I don't even know what to call it. It was an EXE. It came on one disc. It was like a one floppy disc. And it was called Jolt.exe. And I'll never forget that. <laughs> and if you type Jolt, it put a Jolt can that would spin around in a circle. And, and oh, it looked wow. so real. And I was just like... like it was a 3D on the, model? Yeah, exactly. And it was just like, oh my God, that was, that's like the most real... I think it might have been a digitized photo that yeah. somebody had like, you know put in frame by frame by frame spinning around in a circle. But Mm -hmm. I remember being absolutely blown away. And I was like, if this is what computers do, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. Uh, Mm. (laughs) But, um, but that wasn't a game. Just just hearing the name Jolt Cola makes me think of the nineties, you know? Yeah, exactly. It was just like, and I, and I think there might've even been like a, like a PC speaker voice that said like, Jolt. Something like that. It was like really strange. I don't. I don't know where that came from or who made it. Um, mm. I'm pretty sure it was something they had probably downloaded off of uh, BBS at some point, and somebody's just like, "Oh, that's cool." Um, my <laughs> earliest games I want to talk about. Um, I'll follow sort of chronologically after Brian's. Was has anybody heard of Tank Wars, or possibly Scorched Earth? Yeah, oh, yeah, of course, yeah. absolutely. Love that game. Played it like crazy and. Elementary school and high school. Yeah, I I have huge memories of Tank. See, I knew there were two different ones. Scorched Earth was a different thing, but they were effectively the same game, which was, for anybody who's never played Tank Wars or Scorched Earth, they were um, like modern-day worms. You'd have, you know, two or three or four tanks on screen. Each tank can point at the barrel at a certain angle and then fire at a certain um, power. So you basically, the only things you can change are angle and power, if, if I recall correctly. Um, but the trick was the game had different kinds of uh, weapons. Some of the weapons like would explode, like this huge kind of nuclear strike. Other weapons were just like more of like a machine gun. Other weapons, you know, they had like tons and tons, tons of weapons. The thing that blew me away was Tank Wars, the version I played, had some really cool stuff I had never saw before. They had um, pallet cycling effects. Uh, you guys are familiar with that idea? Nice. Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, pallet cycling. I never saw it before. So this is around 1990. Um, it's this is for anybody who's not familiar with uh, pallet cycling. It was a thing you had to do, or you could do in the kind of more 16 colors. I, I don't know if I saw a lot of 256 color pallet cycles, but um, oh, this game was 256 actually. Now that I think about it, um, this is where you could kind of algorithmically cycle through palette colors to give an effect. Sometimes this was used to make it look like an ocean waves coming in. Sometimes this was made to look like a waterfall. Um, just by cycling uh, each pixel through, like, like for instance, a watercolor would be, uh, sorry, a waterfall would be, like, white going slightly bluer, then slightly bluer, slightly bluer, slightly bluer, and then it would cycle back to white. And by cycling through those, a pixel would look like it's, like, gradually, you know, falling downwards or something like that. Um, <laughs> but Tank Wars had this amazing pallet cycle because there's this, like, I don't know what bomb it was, but you fired it, 
And then it would like, it would like double in size, double in size in this big circular explosion. But the cool thing was it would like cycle through the rainbow in each like, in each like explosion. And I remember thinking it was like the coolest thing I'd ever saw. Um, Mm -hmm. First time I'd ever saw pallet cycling in a game. Um, And plus it had like these crazy PC speaker effects for everything too. I, actually, yeah. I, I can totally picture that one. There were there were two weapons that that had the pallet cycling. I think there was one. Maybe I'm remembering the wrong name. There was one called the Merv. Yeah, the Merv. Might have exactly. been one. Yeah. That had the increasingly bigger and bigger ones, and it would like leave a huge like circle in the earth that would like <laughs> yeah. uh, kind of you know, the 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 sand that was still hanging in midair would kind of fall down. Yeah, that was and... one of them. And the other one was like a, a one that would coat the ground with lava. Oh, right, then, right, right, right. I think it would, like, seep down or something into the holes and crevices and stuff, and then when it was done moving, then it would kind of pellet cycle once or twice to make it look like it was sizzling the ground. Yeah, nice. and, and I remember that this, I don't know, whoever coded it, I think it was done in, in X86 Assembler, um, had figured out how to make individual pixels drop. Like, I, re- I totally remember that part where, like, overhanging pieces of rock would just fall down, like, one pixel at a time, and it just looked, like, mind-blowingly good. I have a. Um, um, yeah. I was just you saying the name and like then mentioning Scorch Earth. I'm like, I'm sure I've heard of this. And I just did a quick Google search and I was right. There was actually a tank war game for TI 83 calculators that I, my, me kidding. and my friends used to play. And we used to like link our calculators together and play it. It was amazing. And oh, I just That's looked crazy. up like the, the required space for it and it's 6,091 bytes, which is like half of your calculator's wow. memory. Yeah, that's crazy. So, Six, so they yeah. programmed a whole tank game in six thousand bytes. Yeah, but there was Holy there was crap. like um there was like a Mario game on like the TI eighty three calculators. I remember playing that's like right. Mario. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, some people have figured out how to do because the TI eighty five has a Z eighty processor in it, and people yes, have figured yes, out. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, yeah, they figured out how to do assembly uh, coding, and and I never knew assembly as a kid. I only knew TI Basic. Uh, I was yeah, so blown same. away by the quality of those games. I always wanted to learn the assembly, but by the time I got to coding on a PC, I was I was way over programming on a calculator with twelve, <laughs> like a tiny little bit of memory. So, anyways, I'm sorry was, for sorry for distracting you, but yeah, I was kind of wondering actually, since you mentioned with uh, TI Basic that you would have to choose the commands from a list, yeah, whether there might be like a pretty human readable version of the command like print. Maybe that's five characters, but maybe somewhere internally it only stores that in one character and maybe that's a way of it saving memory. Oh, I'm sure. Like I, I'm sure if people Probably. knew how to do the exact calls in assembly, it was way faster. But the I remember the 83 didn't even have, um, well, was it the 83 or maybe the 82 or 81? One of them didn't even have lowercase letters. Um, and I remember that was like the big distinction between my calculator and everyone else's calculator in the room is I could actually do like lowercase alphanumeric, which everyone was like, wow, that's the coolest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> we could, I, I know like if you were like putting words in yourself, you could only do um, all caps, I believe, but like the that's commands right. themselves, like the, if you were selecting commands from a list, they had like lowercase letters for that, but I don't think you could actually type them in yourself. I'm not that's sure right, now. yeah. I, I think you're exactly right. I think um, the 80, 82 and 81 and 83 all had uppercase only. Because um, yeah. I remember, the, I specifically remember the, on the menu the word DISP, D-I-S-P, was like big big letter D, small letter I, small letter S, small letter P. Um, mm-hmm. And I remember that was on every calculator. But I remember my T-85 specifically had 
lowercase alphanumeric and it's wrong, mm-hmm. which I thought was like the cat's ass in those days. I'm yeah, I'm retroactively jealous of your calculator from high school. <laughs> Cat's ass, huh? <laughs> Never heard that saying before. That's new. I just kind of got stuck on that all of a sudden. <laughs> anyway, I'm I'm sorry for distracting you, but just you mentioned Tankwiller, I was like, I rem- I know that name. Why do I know it? Yeah, um, it seems like it was can... like a very popular kind of. Um, it it was remade for everything, and I think like the best example is um, Worms, and uh, wasn't there another game called like Cannon Fodder or something that was very very similar? Oh, not cannon fodder. Cannon fodder was different. Top oh, yeah, that was different. Yeah. Well, gorillas. The gorillas' basic game was basically the same thing. Right. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah. So I think. Oh, yeah. Cannon fodder was like a different thing, but you were still shooting stuff in the air, weren't you? No, that um, was like uh, top-down soldiers running around and completing oh. objectives and shooting jerks. And- yeah. Oh, like, okay. That was okay. Terrific. So totally yeah, that was that was terrific, but it gets hard, like super, super, super hard. Oh yeah, I remember playing. I think there must have been a demo of it um, that had I had downloaded on a BBS, but I didn't even get more than twenty minutes into the game. It was extremely difficult. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, moving on my list, um, I'm gonna yeah, I, I want to talk about a couple of obscure ones. Another one. This have you guys ever heard of Donald Duck's Playground? Yeah, yeah. a low yeah. game, right? It's like an Al Lowe game. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's like before Al Lowe got into Leisure Suit Larry, or maybe after. I'm not even really sure. Donald Duck's Playground was this game for anybody who's never had a chance. It's wonderful. I remember going over to this kid's place. He had an Atari ST. This was way before my family had a computer. And um, he would load up this game because his parents would only let him get kind of educational stuff. But it was like by far the best educational game he had ever had. And the mm-hmm. fact that I'm fairly good at managing my money today is I swear to God, because I was really good at Donald Duck's Playground, <laughs> and also my ability to catch watermelons out of the air, too. But um, the... Oh, yeah. <laughs> so anybody who's never played this game, it was, like, it was like a mini-game, or it had a set of mini-games where you could, like... My favorite game by far in Donald Duck's Playground is where you would, like, go over to the back of this fruit truck, and your job was to catch pieces of fruit that the farmer was throwing out and you'd have to deposit mm-hmm. them into the right bin. So mm. I think it was like there was a bin for watermelons, there was like a bin for tomatoes or something. But I remember my favorite part of the game is if you didn't if you didn't catch it properly, like it was like very arcadey. Um, and every time you caught something in the bin, you get like five cents or two cents. And so the point of the game mm. was to save up enough money to build Donald Duck's playground. Um, it, as it turns out, I didn't even know that there was a goal to the game at the time. But um, I remember, like, the best thing ever was Donald Duck would be, like, moving back and forth, and you're like, it was actually a pretty hard game trying to catch these watermelons flying out of the truck. And every, if you missed, it would go, and Donald Duck would be like, and he was like, yeah, he'd, yeah. he'd be like, uh, as a kid, I always thought he was swearing because I thought it was, like, such a great sound. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> so, yeah, Donald Duck's Playground, I highly recommend it to anybody. It's It's still very, very playable now, and... It's a cute idea. There was another game that had you, you operated a toy shop, but I never quite understood that one. Um, oh, I remember that one. I played this game at a friend's house. I don't remember. Yeah, he had a Commodore 64. He right. also had like a Commodore 128 at some point, but I think the Commodore 64 is what I played it on. And the toy shop one was like, there was a, if I'm remembering right, there was like this huge shelf. Yeah, it was like a wall walk. of toys. That's right. A wall of toys on the shelf. And... Uh, somebody asked for a certain 
toy. And so they, the toys looked pretty similar, but they all had some distinguishing feature. And so oh. you had to find the toy that looked exactly like the one the person wanted, and you would stick it in a bin or something. Got it, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I remember. You were on a timer and you had to climb ladders, and it was a little bit. It was, it was pretty. Uh, it was pretty stressful. Yeah, exactly. Like it was very, very stressful. And I remember, like, I would actually feel sad at the end of the day if I didn't make enough money. I mean, this is like capitalism simulator 1.0, <laughs> uh, isn't it? <laughs> but uh, yeah, so Donald Duck's Playground, highly recommended. Um, I'll, I'm basically talking about games I played at other friends' houses because when I was a kid, we didn't get a computer until about 1989. Um, so another game I played was on an old Macintosh. I want to say it was a Macintosh 512, like the old black and white ones with the tiny 7-inch screen. Um, this would be around, yeah, 1989 or so. Uh, it was in black and white, and it's this game called Dark Castle. Um, I thought it was just an amazing game. No one's really ever played that because it was Mac only. As far as I know, it was Mac only. Um, and it was a side-scroller where I, 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 I wish... This was still done. Um, it was high res, so let's say uh, I'm guessing the resolution was probably around 520 by 350. It was a really odd resolution, um, but it was high res, black and white, which looks amazing. Um, they really did look amazing mm. those high res uh, modes on the old Mac. I wish people made games in high res, black and white, because it is it is it's an incredible style. Um, and I, th- I think it was just mind-blowing. But yeah, it was a side-scrolling game. You, you played in this kind of medieval dungeon where you'd run around trying to free these slaves, I think. I can't remember. Or was, maybe you're trying to escape from the Dark Castle. I can't remember. But um, I remember it had sampled sound, which blew me away. There was no MIDI music. It was actually just like these like little little um, monsters running around. They go, It was just like, like, it just like blew my mind. that It was actually like a human voice coming out of this. Um, that was pretty common on Mac games of that it era, was. wasn't it? That's right. Yeah, exactly. Mac games probably predominantly used the speaker for stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And I remember being blown away and, until I, my buddies, my buddies, family, for some reason, I had friends with like really strict families. Um, he wasn't allowed to play games on the Macintosh because it was seen as like this, like you know, this like too. It's too expensive to play games on. And I don't mm-hmm. remember where he had borrowed Dark Castle from, but at some point. Oh, I got my friends in so much trouble when I was a kid. Oh, I <laughs> went, I like, he was outside playing hockey with one of my best friends, and I snuck inside of his house, and I was like, I'm going to go play Dark Castle while they're outside so I can get, you know, squeeze in 10 minutes of gaming. So I didn't know he wasn't supposed to play games in this thing. I went downstairs, and I snuck inside this little computer room, and I remember how, I, I remember how to play it. You just stuck the diskette in. And it would like load up on the screen. You could double click the icon and play it. And I played Dark Castle for not even like one minute. And the speaker was like cranked up so loud. I all of a sudden heard these like footsteps coming down the stairs. And suddenly like somebody's pretty pissed off. And this guy walks in and he's like, what are you doing here? And I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm, Fraser said it was okay if I played Dark Castle. And he's like, Fraser told you it's okay? And the poor guy got like banned from using the computer for six months because like oh, no. <laughs> oh it was so terrible. And like oh. I I remember the computer room was like locked from then on. I was like so sad. And I was like, you know, like grade four, grade three, and I was like the poor kid was banned for like probably the rest of his life from using his parents' computer. So Oh no. <laughs> It was terrible. Do you guys, um, did you guys ever yeah. see it? Like, um, did you ever play Shuffle Puck Cafe on like the old Mac with the high res black and white? No, I, no. I don't oh, think I ever man. did. 
that's got fantastic old graphics. Like that. That's like when I think high res black and white on Mac graphics. I'll put in. I'll I'll paste in a thing there so you can see. Like that's what I think of. That's a that's that a fantastic. Amazing. Old, so was it yeah. was it like one of those old classic Mac games that had like sort of semi dithered black and white? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it, nineteen eighty eight, and um, yeah, just wow. it just what they could do with just two colors and like that high res from that time is just yeah, it really really. Yeah. You're still fun. monochrome in nineteen ninety eight. Yeah, I mean eighty eight. Wow. Sorry, eighty eight. Oh, okay. <laughs> there you go. We knew so, Australia was behind, but we didn't know it was that behind. Well, we're pretty behind. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little-known fact that Australia itself was actually in black and white until the early 90s. <laughs> we finally got color in the 90s. That's um, right. If you like, took a color photograph there, it would still look black and white. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, no, I, so it's called Shuffle Puck. Yeah, I've put a link to a screenshot on Moby Games in the, awesome. in the Skype conversation, for if you want to have a look amazing. after. Yeah. Definitely. Good. That's amazing. Oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah, Mac had just such beautiful, sharp line art. I remember nothing looking better on Mac than walls and bricks and yeah, stuff like exactly. that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, anything that was mm. like a repeatable pattern, the, their, they were, their artists were really good at dithering black and white. I was always blown away by it. Yeah, great sense of depth and very striking lines and contrast. And it gets that's like that cool. kind of comic book cross-hatched kind of look. It's really... Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. I love that. And um, you don't see it too often today. I mean... Now, there's not a lot of reasons to gather today, but at the same time, it's it, it's its own specific style, and I really, really miss that. Yeah, it's mm. very charming. All right, so next in my list. Um, I want to skip to, ahead to basically the early 90s so we can have a segue to Ben's stuff. Um, I, the first, I didn't get a computer of our, like our own real family computer until 1990, I would say, and it was an Amstrad 286. Uh, it was at the time already old and I already told the story of how we acquired it, which was my mom went and bought it at a furniture store. Um, don't buy computers from furniture stores. They don't know what they're selling. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but it had, um, technically it wasn't bad. The, the processor sucked. It was an eight megahertz, two eighty six, which was already almost two generations behind at the time. Mm. But, um, it had something interesting that I don't know if you guys are familiar with. There were actually other hard drive standards before IDE. Um, there was, uh, at the time, we had the competing standard, which was called RLL, um, and it was a 30-meg RLL hard drive. And I'll never forget the sound of this thing booting up. It would be like... And it would, like... At the time, I never thought anything of it. Now, if somebody heard that sound, they thought their, their computer would be on fire or something. Like, it was, like, such a specific, like... And it was just the sound, I think, of the... Um, the head moving around and the disc spinning up, but it was like, and it was like at the time where a hard drive, if you touched it, you would actually feel like the thing vibrating in place. Um, mm. But um, it had a, it had a pretty solid VGA monitor, which was cool at the time. Um, you know, it, it actually had a VGA array, which was, you know, not bad for a 286. Um, it had one ISA slot, which I crammed an ad-lib, ad-lib into uh, when I kind of, you know, a couple of years later. And, it is the first time I had ever played a King's Quest game, as far as I know, uh, on a PC. I had played uh, King's Quest II on an Apple II uh, years earlier, but I had, when my mom brought this computer home, my sister would always go on these shopping trips with her, and she picked, oh, you, you should have saw my face. Like, I was like the most disappointed child ever. Like, this is like somebody <laughs> shot all 15 of my dogs. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it was like my mom and my sister came back with this computer, which I was super excited about. And then 
she's like, oh, yeah, and we got you games. And the first one was, like, some lame spelling thing. Like, I think it was called um, Spelling Master or something. It was really crappy, and I just kind of, like, tossed it to the side. And then my sister's like, no, we got a really special one. And, you know, I was... I was not a normal kid in those days anyway, but I was fairly influenced <laughs> by, by like all of the massive amounts of like, um, macho-ness with all my friends. So she showed me King's quest four and anybody who knows that box, it's like print white princess on like a unicorn <laughs> with like crappy gargoyles and like this castle off in the distance. And I was like, and then you flip open the back of the box and there's like kind old grandma, Roberta Williams. Like, I was like, Oh my God, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. I'm like, I want to, I want to set fire to the house. So, uh-huh. <laughs> So I like I, I think I might have went to my room and cried like I was so disappointed. So oh, it was like I was just oh, like so unhappy. I, I didn't want to play some lame princess game. And then I remember my si- <laughs> my sister like made me install it for her because she didn't know how to type. And I remember installing it and I'm like, oh, well, you know, you can you can play this. I don't want to watch. And I remember I walked out of the room like like in a little like childish tiff. And I walked back in and my sister was like trying to play this game. And I remember like being blown away by just like the sheer, it was so colorful. Like the first screen you're on in that game is so well chosen. It's just like this Rosella's on a beach um, and you can see the waves kind of slowly licking in. And I think there might even be a seagull off in the distance. I can't remember, but it was like so visually rich and animated. And I think there's a little brook or a stream in front of you kind of running. And it was the first time I saw like a real animation and I was like, Oh my God, this is cool. And I'm like, okay, I want to play this. So, like, the first thing I did is, like, walk downwards like Rosella drowns. It was just like, <laughs> okay, this has my attention. You can drown in the game. So, <laughs> I, me and my sister have, we, we played that game for, I think, two or three years straight. We didn't, we couldn't finish it until we got a hint book. Um, huh. And I am, like, I, and that was my first kind of induction into the, like, being obsessed with adventure games. Um, and I, I, I played it. that game yeah. a little bit too. That was a, that was a hard one. I thought it I was think, very difficult. Well, my biggest problem with that game was that I never chose the right verbs for the text parser, <laughs> so it, it just didn't have a very big vocabulary. The no, dictionary it wasn't well fleshed out. So I, I think that's what frustrated me too much, and I just didn't bother proceeding. Was that it? Just didn't know what the hell I was talking about. Yeah, it was. It, it was is a pretty one. It, it is gorgeous. The animation is very, very good for for its time. Um, they they put a lot of work into doing background animations for each scene, which I really appreciate. That's one thing I've actually even today with more modern adventure games built in AGS. One of the things I'm really, really impressed by is games that um, animate backgrounds because I think that adds just a lot of depth and richness and flavors to it, and I just just love that to death. I just spent like a month doing that, so yay. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy how it, it, it makes it, yeah. It, it's oh, like yeah. a it very static scene. Yeah, yeah I love it. I, totally I, to life. It's amazing. Um, so that was the first time I saw that. Um, I, it was also the first time that I was introduced to the idea of d- typing dirty words into the parser. Um, because <laughs> of course. <laughs> We've all been there. We, we had these older older kids that lived down the block. They were, you know, well, when I say down the block, I mean like two to three miles away from us. Um, mm. You know, they would like 45-minute pedal ride to come visit us. But I remember this older kid named Kenneth came over, and he was like three years older than me. And when you're in grade seven, three years older than you is huge. Like, he was in grade oh, yeah. 10. And, mm. and I remember he like specifically, I, I must have been like really like like poorly matured as a kid, but... 
I remember it was the first time I ever saw the word sex used in a meaningful context. And it was because we went down to the dwarf. Um, do you remember there's like dwarf mines where they're mining for gems or treasure or something? And I remember yeah. he walked over, mm-hmm. Rosella, over to one of the dwarfs and he's like, have sex with dwarf. <laughs> and I think it said something like, this isn't that this isn't that kind of game, Rosella, or that wouldn't be very, you know, princessy of you, Rosella. And I remember being like, wait, wait, is that what that means? And I was just... <laughs> oh, my God. I feel like I'm a corrupt child now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I get corrupted by my grade 10... Uh, <laughs> your old neighbor. And he, I just remember he was like doubled over in his chair. He thought it was like the funniest thing he'd ever saw in his life. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it was, that's a very early memory. But um, I'll cut that one short because I, I realized that was like almost 15 minutes talking about <laughs> um, King's Quest Four. Um, last one I think I should talk about is, uh, let me think, I want to skip ahead a little bit. Oh, the last one I want to talk about is Space Quest Three. Um, I know we talked Sierra games to death, but oh fuck, I I never played a Space Quest game in my life prior to Space Quest Three. And what happened was I was around ten or eleven years old. It was the year that we got this two eighty six, and I went up north with my father to work for the summer, which is like way in the north, like in the Northwest Territories. And um, I got a job as an eleven year old as a stock boy at a grocery store, and. I don't know if Donald Duck's playground had such a huge effect on me, but I thought it was like the greatest job on earth. And, and my job was to like, to put like bread back in the shelves and to fill, you know, those ice mach- making machines, um, mm-hmm. they would sell ice in these, these clear plastic bags. So my job as an 11 year old was to fill the ice bag. And I was like, literally, smiling to the point of almost crying every day because I thought it was like oh, the wow. most exciting thing I'd ever done. <laughs> I'm kind of chuckling to myself uh, thinking about the concept of uh, selling ice in the Northwest Territories. <laughs> it's like it's like selling it, bubbles to fish. Exactly. It's like surprisingly <laughs> large market for it. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. I but, but at the time what happened was I got paid $3 an hour. And in 19, was that 1990? That was still not a lot of money. Like, that was still like, like child labor laws would get a hold of yeah, this and go crazy. to town. Did you uh, swear like a duck because of your wage? <laughs> oh, yeah. I was, I was like, man, I was so excited. I, my dad told them not to pay me until the end of the summer. So I literally worked every day for two months without getting anything back. But I was just like wow. one of those kids, like, just happy to be part of the team. You know, like, <laughs> I was so excited <laughs> for my $3 an hour wage. But what wow. happened was I, I got 150 Okay, think about this the way. I worked the entire summer. And I got a paid a hundred and fifty bucks at the end of the summer. It, uh-huh. it was just like terrible. But at the time, I was like, "This is more money than I've ever seen." Um, yeah. So I went straight to the Radio Shack that was in this small town. It's like a town of two thousand people, and I bought Space Quest Three, and I literally bought it. And this is why I literally bought it because Roger Wilco was eating a burger on the front of the box. I just thought it was the wow. funniest thing I ever saw. <laughs> so <laughs> I spent, and it was like 65 bucks. I remember it was a lot of money. So like, yeah, I remember, I remember thanking, um, uh, what's his name? The space quest guy, um, uh, the creator, um, 
Scott Murphy. Oh, the two Mark guys Ray? from Andromeda. Yeah. Um, um, Scott Murphy Mark, or Mark Ray? No, uh, Scott yeah. Murphy. Yeah, there you go. I remember I literally spent years trying to get a hold of Scott Murphy just to thank him for for letting me buy that game because I don't think I would have been as big into adventure games if I hadn't. Um, Space Quest 3, <laughs> I won't even go into any detail about that game, but it, it blew my mind. It, it actually like made me beg my parents to buy me an AdLib uh, ad sound card for one Christmas, um, <laughs> which I had a huge meltdown. Oh, I was such a rotten kid. I, um, <laughs> I, wanted, I wanted it so bad that like, I talked about it for six months before Christmas. And I would like come to my mom every day and say, like, okay, Sylvie, look. This is this is what's going to happen this year. You're going to buy me <laughs> that, that AdLib Gold, that AdLib uh, sound card, and here are the 500 reasons which I've came up with. And these are just the 500 reasons. You don't even want to know of the 2000s I haven't thought of yet. So, <laughs> so I like I like I just like made it very clear that if I didn't get this, this was going to be the end of the world. Um, and it was specifically because I wanted to hear sound in Space Quest Three. Uh, I'll get, I, I have to do a side story to the story. The reason why I wanted the sound card so badly was because that summer that I bought it, we didn't, I bought, by the way, I bought Space Quest 3 and we didn't even have a PC yet. Um, wow. I bought it because I was like planning that we're, you know, going to get one at some point. And I remember wow. going over to this kid named Norman's house and Norman had a Tandy and I said on the box that you could use it on a Tandy. So we loaded it up. And for anybody, I know Trolls will totally, totally, um, he's the one that reminded me of this. Space Quest 3 actually had a digitized voice. I don't know if you guys knew that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I read about it after the fact. Yeah. and it's like ro- A voice, like one file. One file, yeah. It's, it's Roger Wilco. When he wakes up in the pod, he goes, where am I? And mm-hmm. on the Tandy version, it had a three-voice three voice, um, thing capable of actually producing that. So... On the Tandy version, if you installed it and you put Tandy music on, it would do Roger. And I remember me and my friend looking at each other saying, like, oh, my God, my world is different. Like, I heard Roger Wilkins' voice. It's just, like, so crazy. And um, and then what happened was he said, oh, I don't like using the keyboard. Let's turn on the joystick. So we re- we this is something I don't know if a lot of people know, but if you go back to the Sierra installer and you turn on the joystick, joystick, it actually conflicts with the IRQs used for the sound card, and you can no longer get Roger's voice if you have the joystick on. Oh. Yeah. And you wouldn't believe, we literally stayed up till 2 in the morning trying to figure out why his voice didn't work, and I remember, like, going to bed thinking about that I had wrecked his computer or something because he couldn't make the voice anymore. Oh. Oh, wow. So, yeah. That was my first introduction to, like, more than, you know, better than PC speaker, and... So the, uh, what ended up happening was I begged my parents for this, and this is like the last story I'll tell today, I promise. Um, <laughs> I, it was Christmas Eve. I wanted this sound card, and I remember going under the tree, and I was like amazingly good at guessing what I got because I'd like shake the box. At some point, I even got into like using razor blades to cut the tape off and then retaping them. Oh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was a bad kid, and... Uh, <laughs> So I remember grabbing this box, and it was way too light. And I was just like, oh, my God, they didn't get me a sound blaster. This is like a sweater or something, or this is like a pair of socks. Or not sound blaster, sorry, the Adlib. And I remember, like, sitting, it was like Christmas Eve, sitting under the Christmas tree and bawling my eyes out, 
because oh. I was like so angry I didn't get an ad lib. And I remember like like just like having this like massive tantrum and my mom's like, you know, everyone's unhappy now, no one's talking to each other. It's like an hour before you know, Christmas, uh, like midnight, and like everyone's just like, you know, let's just call it a night. Let's go to bed. We'll open presents in the morning. And I went went to bed, and I just like just hated the world for like the next twelve hours. I got up in the morning and I opened up the box, and there was the frigging ad lib inside. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> I guess it was just like it's just an ice card. It weighs like what fifty grams. Uh, <laughs> I'm such a little jerk. If nothing else, we've learned something today that Chris was a horrible child who also was willingly subjected to child labor for, like, below minimum wage. <laughs> that, is, that explains so much. <laughs> Selling ice to, like, people in the one of the coldest parts of probably the world. <laughs> and being excited about it, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> loving it. <laughs> Uh, yeah. All right. Oh, that's beautiful. So, I'm gonna cut my game list short because I can't wait to hear about your game, son. Oh man, mm-hmm. I um, it's really I I do not remember what my first computer was, but I remember really clearly. I even remember the guy that sold it to my father, the name um Richard Nankerville, and he had a com- a company called Ultramedia. And you know, you used to get the little wow. decals that you'd stuck stick on the front, the little square ones that would like bulge mm-hmm. yeah. out, and that was like mm-hmm. stuck on the computer for years. I have no idea what it was, but. He was like, oh, you've got some, you've got boys you should get. And my dad loved airplanes. And, of course, the early 90s was like flights. It was the time of flight simulators, you know. Yeah. Like they were the mm-hmm. software that everyone got. So he sold us um, this pack of flight simulator games, most of which we could not get to work on the computer. And some of which, like Mega Fortress, my dad used to play, which were way too complex for me. But one of the games that came with it and he also sold us a quick shot joystick which was a oh, four right. axis two button joystick yeah and mm-hmm. i actually you know chris i was talking to you the other day about um subculture um yeah submarine game and i actually still have the joystick and i played through that game using that same joystick <laughs> i had when i was no like way. a little tiny kid wow. so yeah so um the game that i got into and i got into this like a big way was called the heroes of the 357th and oh, it was, that was a fantastic game. Oh, you know it? Was that a LucasArts one? No, yeah. it was um it was no? Midnight Software developed it and it was published by oh. Electronic Arts. Yeah, I think Oh, sorry, it was, it was EA. Game. That's what it was. It was EA. Yeah. Yeah, and um hmm. it was 1992 that it was made and you flew you flew the P51 and you could either fly the P51B or the P51D and right. there was different executable files that you like you chose which one to start the game with by selecting That's like, right. you know by going Wow. And um, so you basically, you're flying like a P-51 and you fly like around France and like um, Paris and that. And um, it was really simple, like 3D graphics, untextured 3D graphics, but I had like, you know, the basic markings on them. And um, I, this game was my world. Like this was all I cared about. Like this, this, I I remember my mother got concerned that I was like too into this game because I would like sit at the computer and I would like twist my whole body as like move the joystick like this. (laughs) <laughs> and it had this amazing thing, like, you could fly around and you had, like, a fairly detailed, like, VGA, if you had it in VGA mode, like, a cockpit with, like, I, lo- I thought they were the best graphics that the world had ever oh, seen. Oh, yeah. Even at the time, that was mm-hmm. a very, very good cockpit. Yeah, and, like, and you could see, like, little white bullets flying and you could choose, like, you could put, like, drop tanks 
on the aeroplane or bombs or rockets and stuff like that. And there were ground targets and everything like that. And you could fly, like, you could... I learnt history because I, like, I learned that... I learnt what a fucker Wolf 190 is. I learned about the Messerschmitt 109 aeroplanes. And I love chasing... Do you remember chasing the V1 bombs in that? Oh, yeah, yeah, that was, that's right. That was, like, the best... Like, they were so hard to catch. <laughs> and, like, if I got one of those, that was, like... My, I was like the ace of the skies, and it was amazing because, like, after the missions, like you'd paint, like, you could see a pilot like painting like the little swastika on the side of his like fuselage for like, yeah, I made another kill, and I filled that fuselage up. There was no space for more like things, and I was, I was, <laughs> I would get my dad to come and like look, and yeah, so that was like that was the first game that I ever got into, and I got into like a huge, huge way because it was like. Just it was a really simple game. There was really nothing to it. There was like fighter escort mi- missions for like we yeah. escort bombers and they drop their bombs, and then there was just like fighter intercept missions where you'd fly against fighters, and then I think like just some like ground strafing targets and intercepting the V ones. But that was it. It was nothing like fancy, and that's all you needed, you know. And um, were those V one bombs? Were those like rocket powered bombs or something, or would they fall out of a plane and you had to dive down to shoot? No, they were they were um yeah self propelled bombs. They'd like launch them in Germany and they'd fly over to like things. Uh-huh. So they're they're self powered bombs. I think they were nicknamed the Doodlebug. I think. Um, but that's an adorable name for such a terrible thing. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. So I've, as, as far endearing. as I know, Midnight Software only made one other game, which was called Renegade wow. Battle for Jacob Star, which was oh, they I made think, that too. Like, yeah, they did. Which so that's it, and that's all they did. But yeah, I was so in love with that game. Like I can't even say like that game was my world. I'm sure we all like as kids had that game that was like, this is the only thing I care about. Like you wake up, I'm like, I have to play the game. You know, that was me with that game. So I have that was Wing Commander for me. Yeah, well, that's actually my next game. Um, another <laughs> another one of the the games that came in this thing was Wing Commander, and Wing Commander was oh, a really man. frustrating game for me because I loved this game so much as a kid. And as soon as we got, like, a better computer, um, I couldn't play it because the clock speed was way too fast. Oh, no. Like, yeah, even Turbo... Didn't that game have adjustable speed with keyboard shortcuts? I don't... Am I, am I spoiling your childhood by telling you this I, way too late? I don't <laughs> Maybe it did. I think you I could actually thinking. change it. Okay. Well, then, oh, shoot, it was I, in the manual, man. Yeah, right. I tried, like, pressing the turbo button and everything. I'm like, oh, man, I can't play Wing Commander. But Wing Commander oh, no. is, like... Wing Commander is, like, one of the most... Um, I think for the time, 1990 it was released by Origin Systems. It was like the most immersive thing. I know Joe talks about oh, yeah. it on the Upper Memory Block podcast. You start like with the arcade sequence mm-hmm. and like they get your name by getting you to enter this high school thing, which is like the most clever thing in the entire world. Like that's Very. so clever to me. And just like being a kid, like walking around this bar and I was like, oh my God, there's like, it's like Star Wars. There's like fighter pilots and there's like, you know. <laughs> It was like yeah. this super this and like I I got into it a little bit after playing Heroes of the Three Hundred Fifty Seventh and I didn't use a joystick for it or anything like that and I, I used a mouse I'm sure and um but I loved like the attention to detail like you shoot at the kill Ruffy and you'd see like little hoses and stuff coming off as like that's right they blow exploded. off yeah oh man I, and like there's asteroid fields which are incredibly tough when you're like a little kid and um do you remember but, yeah, do you remember the cin- cinematic scenes that ran kind of in when when you hit autopilot and you're going to go between what one yes. like system and another yes. I loved how yes. it showed the current damage to your ship and it'd be like yeah. it'd be like misfires on the engines I was like that is the most incredible thing I've ever seen 
Yeah. When I first started playing that game, I didn't realize there was an autopilot. So <laughs> oh I would, my like, god! Point my nose toward the thing, and I was like, "Dude, dude, 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 boy, this is realistic." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was like, like forty-five minutes. State of cat, like, re- well, <laughs> it was like five minutes, and I'd have to stay poised in the state of cat-like readiness, just waiting for the enemies to appear. Because wow. if I blinked, then they would just surprise oh me. Oh my enough. god! But like, I'm like, oh look, there's a there's a flyby camera button. Oh, I guess I'm there. <laughs> but that's like, yeah. that's such an incredible game. Like, it was like a really action oriented game, but at the same time, like you could give your wingman orders, and you could like, when you land right. at the tiger's claw, you have to call in and like permission to land and everything like that. And um, just just the attention to detail, like, and I mean, it's a pretty hard game. Like anybody, like. Oh, yeah, Anybody... and it was the first time I saw a branching narrative in a game, too, I think. Yeah, that's incredible, mm-hmm. like, you could, and they have, like, little intermission c- cutscenes where, like, shows the results of your mission, and, like, you could see, you could compare, like, what happened if you did the mission right and what happened if you did it wrong, which I really like, I think that's fantastic. Yeah. And that art was remarkable, I Yeah, that's... that might have been better than anything I had seen. Yeah, that's just... Do you guys happen to know Sierra, if the, um, if they rotoscope some of those scenes? Because I remember there's this part where... I think it's like the, you see like the silhouette of a crewman walking by your ship and it's like so incredibly lifelike. I don't know oh. how they did it. I'm not sure. I, I remember a scene with the silhouette being in Wing Commander 2. Oh, maybe it's Wing, Wing Commander, Commander 2. One, I might be confusing with Well, Wing in number Commander one, 2. when you're, you're getting your briefings, I don't know if, no, I didn't imagine this. I'm sure of it. When you're getting your briefings, even though there was no speech in the right. game, the, your commander would be talking and his lips would actually mouth the syllables of the words. Yeah, that were, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At the bottom, which is the most ridiculously amazing thing. <laughs> so unnecessary in the detail, I, but I would like read it extra slowly so that it would be in time with his lips moving. Out of curiosity, was it for for both of you? Did you guys have a sound blaster by that point? Uh, that is the game that I that I wanted to buy a sound blaster for. <laughs> yeah. I, so yes, I I didn't play it without it. That was the game that I had seen somebody else playing with an ad lib, and I begged my dad for something of the sort, and he gave me the sound blaster. Wow. I don't think awesome. I had. I don't think I had it when I first played it, but I eventually um, did get it with the Sound Blaster, yeah. So. Oh, because I, I, I would get so excited. See, my friends had that um, game, they had Wing Commander on their 486, and I remember it was the first time I had ever saw Sound Blaster, and do you, do you remember the part where it's showing the Origin Systems intro? And you oh, hear, that's like, such the, a the, great introduction with, like, the conductor. The orchestra. Exactly. And the, yeah, and the fireworks. Yeah. Oh, man, origin effects. Oh, it was just, like, so... So stimulating. So, so, like, I get, like, like I get, like, my stomach gets, like, fuzzies in it right now just thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Such, such great attention to detail. And they had, like, as far as I know, it was a 3D game space you were flying around in, but they rendered the ships, like, they had pre-rendered ships and they just had, like, that's directional right. sprites. So compared to, like... Heroes of the 357th, which just had these really blocky ships. You had, like, these colorful, like, kind of... You could actually see the designs of the ships you were fighting, and they had these really amazing designs that really captured my attention. And, I, like, they had cool ship names, and, like, you know, the, like, they named ships after swords and things like that. It was just, right. yeah, just mm-hmm. a really whole experience is, is what I took away from that game. And no, I, I played it again, like, a couple years ago, because GOG put it out and um just just yeah that game never gets old for me it really holds up it really it does, does yeah yep the next yeah, game brilliant games the next game and this is a game that i wasn't really interested in at first but my brother would play this a lot while i was off like you know playing my my flying games 
And um, and we only had the shareware of it, which I'm sure is common for a long time before I got the full game, is Doom. Um, which oh, wow. Is, I, I don't think I need to tell anybody about Doom. Um, <laughs> the almighty Doom. Yeah, but Certainly so not. I remember not really being interested in Doom because it was an action game and I, I wanted like the simulation stuff better. But my brother was super into Doom and I remember him getting in trouble so many times with my dad because like he would be swearing like Doom was the game that got him swearing, you know, because he'd be like, oh, fuck off, you know, you stupid <laughs> thing like that. And like dad would come and be like, you're in trouble, you know. <laughs> but um, I remember my brother got to the very... Like the last boss, everybody knows the last boss of of knee deep yep. in the in the dead is like the two barons of hell and they're flinging the thing and he could not get past them and I was looking at him and I was like, um, man, you just got to dodge the green orbs better. And he was like, well, you do it. So like I sat down like I'd only played it a couple of times before and I beat them and, like while he watched. I'm like, oh wow, and um, and <laughs> just from. Playing that bit, I was like, okay, I need to play some more of this game. That was really good. And obviously now I've played, like, I've played a lot of Doom in my time, you know. So, like, <laughs> I just think, for me, a big thing of Doom was not just, like, the new graphics, which look incredible. Like, Doom's graphics, those visual designs are so iconic that I remember, even though I wasn't really interested in it, like, when I'd see, like, a pinky demon or something like that, I'm like, oh, my God, look at this thing. But also the sounds, like, they oh, have, the like... sounds incredible. Oh yeah, just like I, like the sounds of a door opening, and you could hear like the grunts of things mm. as they were like, yeah, and like you'd hear like the grunts of a demon as it was like charging through the hallways, and you're like, oh my god, it's after me, you know? Like that's <laughs> mm-hmm. it's just it's just amazing, and how fast you can move, like you can move fast in Doom, you can outrun a rocket if you run diagonally and hold and like have permanent on, but also like really? it was cool, yeah, you can. I've mm-hmm. I've done it. It was, but wow. it was cool, you know, like, it wasn't like, it wasn't like this kind of like lame, like, you know, because a lot of the games that we had at school were like, you know, learn to type and all, you know, right. you know, gr- we had like Granny's Garden, which I never played, but I watched a fair bit, and it was just this boring, just shit, and all of a sudden there's this game where you're like murdering demons with a chainsaw, and I was like, yes, this is, <laughs> you know, this is cool, you know, this is like awesome, like, and you've got like explosive barrels that like you can blast people to bits with them and like like go they go to goo. And also like just <laughs> those those um those times were like the time where people would hide a lot of secrets in levels and like I remember yeah. just like running around the walls, like just tapping space like while running against the wall, <laughs> like trying to find all the secrets in a level. Like that was a real it it was an action game, but there was a lot of exploration like mixed in with that. You Absolutely. Know? It felt so, very rewarding to find a secret door in any of the oh, uh, yeah. any deep in the dead. Yeah, I loved it. Yeah, I remember mm-hmm. spending days on the shareware version just in, just doing that. Yeah. Oh, so did I. But when I recently watched that uh, John Romero interview thing, right. he showed me secrets on the very first level that I'd never seen before, <laughs> really? and I was like smacking myself in the head. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. I couldn't believe it. Like, um, there, there's a. It's like the second last area of the for of the like. One one level. Right. Um, when you walk in, there's like this zigzag pattern on the ground. I think there's like slime around, green slime around it, right. and then like off in the distance, a bit to your left, and up on a high platform is this brown imp guy throwing the red fireballs at you. Right. And I didn't realize that there was a secret that allowed you to get up onto that. Oh, right, thing. No, right, yeah. right, right. <laughs> I'd never seen that before, and I'd been playing a game for like twenty years, and I, I like literally smacked myself in the face, yeah. literally when That's I saw awesome. that. I play through like I play through. 
the first episode of Doom so fast now. Like, I just, I know everything off by heart. I know exactly where every weapon I want is, so I don't, I probably don't know that many secrets because I know exactly which secrets I, I want in order to do a playthrough yeah. of it. So I don't, I know Doom for a very linear path, like, but I don't know, right. like, I haven't explored Doom for years because I'm like, you know, but like, I, and I, back then we used to like play it without a mouse. We played it all keyboard, so like, you know, it was, Me too. yeah, it was a very different experience. And actually, the first girl that I like, I guess, she wasn't my girlfriend, but we were like, you know, we'd hold hands when we walked down the street and everything like that. When I was like in school, was we kind of like, we kind of met and she talked about Doom and I was, I like told her some Doom secrets. So she like went home and was like, oh man, that's where you get the rocket launcher in that level. <laughs> so like, that's how I, that's how I won her affections. <laughs> <laughs> You're winning mine just by telling the story. <laughs> so, um, the next game that I want to talk about, I'm sure a lot of guys have heard of this, is IndyCar Racing by Papyrus. Oh, uh, hell yeah. yeah. Now, everybody one. played this game. Like, um, And this, I was terrible at this game because I was a kid that just wanted to go really, really fast. I didn't think about braking <laughs> and like cornering it. And like, it's really, like, it's quite detailed a simulation. You can set your car up. And I didn't know any of that stuff. So, I would like just go in and like just choose anything. You know, but I love that you could like just make these huge crashes and like watch replays of it. That was exactly. the most amazing thing to me. Like, uh, yeah, the showers of polygons, <laughs> and like that's what it was all about. Yeah, and like you could like leave black marks on the track and everything like that. It was such a, it was not a game for a kid at all, and yet I love the hell out of it. Just like just being able to watch a replay like was such an amazing idea to me. That and oh, of man. course I, I thought. Mm-hmm. I thought replays were the most incredible thing I ever saw. It was between that and this other game I played called Destruction Derby. I don't even know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, man. I, oh, I forget who made that. Yeah, I don't know. And you could watch like a five-minute replay on that thing. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah, exactly. It had like these super... I remember IndyCar Racing was limited to something like what? Like 20 seconds or something or 10 seconds? Yeah, I yeah something like that. I just remember getting so excited to like... I, w- I would spend like like... 10 minutes setting up my car so I could hit like, what was it, 300 kilometers an hour, like the perfectly top end speed of my car so I could see the biggest possible accident ever. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I love that we all like took this really, like really detailed racing simulator as our own personal crash simulations. Of course. But yeah, so, it was great as that though. It was so satisfying. It really that was a really was, good game in yeah. Like and, and I never played that game as it was intended to be played, ever, but I still enjoyed the hell out of it. I think that's really what matters. Well, you know? I think that game was uh, like ultimately supposed to simulate the Indy 500, which is a race about friggin' going around a circle 500 times. Exactly. So I, like it literally would take two or three hours boring, to finish man. that game. Yeah, yeah. That was like there was so many serious simulation games that night. I remember my dad playing Mega Fortress really, and like there were checklists and and all these charts and things. And I would like lie in bed and like watch him play this thing. I st- I haven't gone back to play that game because I'm like. I'm sure I imagine it to be more complex, but he'd like fly like a two-hour mission. I'm like, Jesus, yeah. you know, how do you understand <laughs> this stuff? But he was like really into airplanes, and he was like super excited wow. about this. So, um, yeah. Awesome. The next game was not a game that we had, but my grandparents got a computer, and um, the guy that built the computer was like, "Oh, do you have grandkids?" And and they obviously said, "Yeah." And so 
he put a game on there called Ski Free, which it was apparently oh, a part yay. of. Uh, yeah, apparently that was a part of the Microsoft Entertainment Pack number three. But I never played right. any of the other things in that. All I ever played was Ski Free, and Ski Free was <laughs> fantastic. I don't care what anybody says about Ski Free. Oh it no, it's great. Yeah. Who would say anything else? I know. I love, love, love that game. You had like three modes, which was like the slalom, the tree slalom, which was the same thing, but with lots more obstacles. And just like the freestyle where you could like do tricks. And um, it was just like, for me, there was like, it was really simple, but it was also quite detailed. Like, even though it was really simple, you had like the cool snowboarder guy that would come past and you could see him go past. And, you know, you had like the guy that was just learning that was like, oh, he had a funny, sad face and he was like crashing as he was going down the thing. And I, I like, as a kid, I really wanted to be like, I'm like, why can't I play as the cool snowboarder guy? And, um, but you could do Didn't cool it have jumps. like some sort of monster or yeti that would chase you like, yeah. Yeti. yeah at the, the yeti. very end there's like a, the abominable snowman comes after you and he's quick like you can't outrun him but we figured out like I think we read on, online somewhere once we got onto the internet and we and we learned this is you could turn sideways at the very start and hold the up arrow and like you would inch upward like really yeah really, that's right, really that's right. Yeah. and you could get you could like find the monster and like be behind him and, like, it would take you forever to do it, and there's no fun in it. But when you're a kid, you're like, that's something fun to try, you know. So I, I played the heck out of Ski Free. And I recently got it from my Android phone and tried it. I was like, I remember oh, this. Is... It's perfect on Android. It is, too. yeah. It's, like, it's a really good conversion. So that was, that was like, a 1991 game, but I, I honestly don't remember when I played it. I know the computer was a 3.11, Windows 3.11. I think that's, right. that's what it came out for. Mm. So, yeah, but another game that I first played on my grandma's computer... Um, I think I'm trying to remember and I remember really vividly this was really really vivid is Command and Conquer the 1995 Westwood Mm -hmm. Studios real time strategy game and I remember my brother and I installing the game now the game installer like Westwood installers were fantastic like you were sucked in from the installation process you know they had like these amazing graphics and like um, just just watching the game install was like a joy in itself. And um, I remember, do you guys remember the very first GDI mission of Command & Conquer? Uh, yeah, pretty well, yeah. <laughs> no, I didn't play too much. Okay. I was dumb at those games. There's like this there's like this beachhead landing and like you see like there's a, a boat going past like shooting missiles and there's a turret shooting like cannons of that and then you've got like landing boats that come down and like troops move off that onto the beach and then troops come and attack you. It's a strategy game to an extent, but it's like the most visceral kinetic thing I'd ever seen at that point, like from a strategy game. Because um, I'd only ever watched people play strategy games. I'd never seen anything that I could play that I could get into, you know, so I never tried any. Yeah. And then I and saw that this really and I was like, fast. oh man, it is so, it's such an amazing experience. They were like trying to make like a movie style, like landing scene. And like the best thing, I mean, you had. Frank Klepacki's music, which, like, I still love, like, the, the soundtrack to Command yeah, & Conquer and, and Command & Conquer Red Alert. And you had, like, these mm-hmm. amazing... I mean, Westwood, everybody knows how good they were at graphics. Like, they, they were the kings, you know? There was no there was no getting past. They did low-resolution graphics better than anybody else. And, um, mm. like, I just... I remember... I think... I'm pretty sure we played the demo first, and we had that, and, like, you had, I think, three missions. One was, like, one where you just, like, did the beach landing. One was one where you build up a base. And, like, do you guys, uh, you remember the sound of, like, the obelisk of light? And, like, you'd hear, like, soldiers walking oh, yeah. through, like, the 
the Tiberium fields and you like hear these horrific screams like off in the distance. You're like, oh my god, what was that? And like, um, it had great sound, like really, really lots of attention to detail as Westwood always did. Like you'd have like this battle map, but off in the corner there'd be like a civilian town with like houses and like troop, like exactly. like civilian. Yeah, that, and it was really just like there's so much to do in that. And then you'd have like a commando mission where you just had one soldier and you're like being hunted by tanks and there's like you had to use a helicopter to hop him like around the map. That was like super oh, intense. Oh, that's like, right. I played through the <clears throat> G- GDI campaign of Command and Conquer again a couple of years ago and it is still a really intense experience to this day. I, um, I remember thinking the commando was the coolest unit I had ever saw in that game. Absolutely, he was really, yeah. He was just really like, yeah, let's get him. Kind of. Yeah, I got a present for you. Like, you know, <laughs> such a such a cool guy. And um, I remember going to like the store to get it. And um, the guy at the store, like, we went with our mum, and like, we we're like, mum, 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 we need this. Like, you know how you were as kids. We need this thing. And it had an MA fifteen plus rating, which in Australia means that you can't right. get the you can't get the product if you're not over fifteen. So, like, I remember mum, like, looking at it, she's like, I don't think this is going to be suitable for boys of your age. And the guy at the store, bless his black soul, was, he, he literally <laughs> said to me, he's like, oh, no, that's fine. It's not really that violent. And, like, it's like, you know, Oh, nice, he's got, good like, man. Yeah, you look at the nuclear strike. Yeah. <laughs> nuclear launch detected. <laughs> like... I was like, that guy was like my hero. I like, he's like my favorite guy in the entire world. Like, uh, so, oh like, yeah. Really, like, get this game home, and like, this guy's getting like run over by tanks with like a horrible squishing noise, and like burning to death from the flamethrowers and that. <laughs> but, That's awesome. You know, I didn't, when I, I played that game for the first time, I didn't even know that there were videos in it because yeah, the FMG I had, videos. yeah. I had downloaded a rip from a BBS, and it was like 16 uh-huh. discs. And, uh-huh. and I remember, I, I would, I, for, for like a solid week, I skipped class at lunch hour with my friend so we could go to his house, and it would take like, you know, I don't know, 10 minutes to copy a disc or something. I can't remember. It was a long, long time to copy these discs. And it, over a period of five days, we would run to his house for lunch hour and then like copy two discs at a time and then run back to school uh, just in time to make it for class just so he'd have his, like, 16-disc copy. And it wasn't until, like, uh, maybe three or four years later that I actually bought Command & Conquer Gold when they released it for yes. Windows 95. And I was like, oh, my God, there's actually, like, briefings and videos. And yeah. <laughs> I had no idea there was even a story. Yeah, again, like... Yeah, I, I remember pirating some games and I didn't even know they had music or speech <laughs> in them because they came in, in uh, segments like that, installments. But yeah, the attention to detail of Westwood games really shows up with, like, the full motion video. That None of that stuff is necessary for a strategy game. Like, even, That's right. even a very a light strategy game. But they just... They really did put that attention to detail in there. And, like, again, like Wing Commander, it's a very whole experience. Every element works perfectly in sync together. Yeah. And they went all out, didn't they? They had like Hollywood actors and sets and the costumes and stuff. Um, I mean, that, well, am the, I remembering they right? had costumes. <laughs> the, <laughs> okay. the acting was like pretty cheesy, but like when you're a kid, you don't care about that shit. You know, it's like yeah, exactly. You know, and and I, Red Alert, um, like, sorry, Chris, go ahead. And Red Alert, I I, I didn't get a chance to play that one. Oh man, Red Alert's the exact same game with a different setting. It's like the oh, exact. Oh, it's a Soviet thing, thing right? 
Yeah, it's it's an alternate history where I f somebody goes back in time and kills Hitler and what would have happened. And so, you know, oh. you have to... It's Stalin versus the Allied forces. And, um, wow. Oh, neat. It's, the, it's really no, I, the exact I always wanted same. to play it. Yeah, it's like instead of the commando, you've got Tanya, who is basically a female version of the commando. Like the missions are all exactly the same, but there's... There's a couple of fun extra stuff that that spices it up a little bit. You've got like spy infiltration missions where you like there's like enemy dogs that can sniff you out. The enemy troops can't tell oh, that you're man. like one of them. But yeah, that's that's really intense. And I got to say this, the animations where the dogs die, if you like shoot a dog in like red alert is one of the most horrific animations I've seen in any game. Like I oh, get no. me every every time I see it, I'm like that's like horrible. worse than like, Wolfenstein. Oh man, it's it's like Wolfenstein doesn't affect me that much, but when I see the when I see the dogs in this, they like get torn in half. <laughs> like, yeah. anyway, oh my cool. god! So, so I've played the hell out of those games, and Red Alert especially because you could do like skirmish missions where it was just like you versus a computer opponent, and you could make your own maps, and that was like for me. Oh wow! I wanted to, I wanted to make games, and here I was making my own maps. I was like the king of the world, you know. That's um, amazing. The next game, I remember this really, really clearly. My brother found this on a disc. Like, a, you know, you used to get magazine demo discs and things like that. And most of them could not run on our computer because, you know, we didn't have a very good computer. But I remember him coming like, oh, I found a game I think you really like. And I was like, okay, you know. So I went to the computer and he'd installed a 1994 game by Chris Sawyer called Transport Tycoon. And oh, baby. Transport Tycoon was my life. I cannot tell you how many hours I've put. I'll, I'll tell you this. Like, I had a, a bunch of us were like, we had a group of friends in school. And what, and I remember Claire saying how much she hated this game because as soon as we found this game, none of the boys would spend any time with it ever because all we could do was play <laughs> Transport Tycoon. Like, that's, that's all we could do. And it was like, man, it's, it's basically... Uh, basically like an empire building game where you're just you're building a transport empire up that's really all it is you've got airplanes boats trucks and trains and you know most people just focus on the train incredible high res SCGA artwork I've never it seen a diametric or isometric done that well in my life yeah it, it, it still looks beautiful to me today and it's got an amazing MIDI soundtrack by John Broomhall who worked on stuff like XCOM that's right. you know all, all sorts of wonderful games and um there's actually, they, they released, I think a couple of years later, um, he did Transport Tycoon Deluxe, which ha added a couple of scenarios. And then around, I want to say around 2000 or 2002 or somewhere like that, he released, base, he released Locomotion, which really is the same game with like oh. slightly different graphics. And um, Chris, that, Chris that really got... A sequel? Yeah, he did. And that got panned wow. like super, super badly because had old style wow. graphics and everyone was like, oh, this is the same stupid game. I'm not paying $50 for this, you know, but uh, I love Locomotion oh, and they recently did a, um, uh, an Android port of Transport Tycoon. So I downloaded it and checked it out and it's not actually Transport Tycoon. It's actually Locomotion, which works oh. better. The controls work better on the Android because it's more like Rollercoaster Tycoon. So it's less reliant on the mouse. Oh, actually wow. really, really good. But, John Broomhall went back and redid all of the music without, Holy like, cow. in actual music, without, like, all the MIDI instruments. And I, like, I actually got hold of him on Twitter. I was like, man, I know all of these songs note for note because I played so much of this game. They're, like, my favorite songs in the world. And to hear them with real instruments is, like, the most That's magic insane. thing. 
Yeah, so, so, so they told, hmm. that only exists on the Android version. I I don't know if I don't know if the, I don't think there's a PC version of that. Unfortunately, wow, you can get Open Transport Tycoon Deluxe, but yeah, I just the fact that the same guy went back, like you know, that's incredible. I, I, like twenty years later, or like eighteen years later, and like redid those tracks with like instruments is just phenomenal to me. Like it's a, it's a really magical thing to. That's all. What kind of music is it? Can you like what genre of music? A lot of jazz and um, yeah, that sort of yeah. music. It's a really, really jazzy soundtrack. It's 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 catchy as hell. Like I think I, the only I thing I can compare it to is the quality of music you find in the Sims series. It's just yeah, it's kind of jazz, yeah. jazzy, soft. It just makes you want to be there. I don't know how to explain it. They're really that's high praise for that comparison. Yeah, really, yeah. Sims music is fantastic. So is Sim City music. Are you kidding me? Absolutely. Like oh, totally. Best soundtracks. Anyway, I would. I don't want to linger too much because <laughs> I've already like talked a lot about games that I love. But um, the next one, which has already come up in the podcast before, and I'm sure everybody played this. This was one that originally my friend John had. He's the one that snuck into the computer room at the birthday. <laughs> and um, <laughs> um, is a 1995 Team 17 game called Worms. And um, oh, everybody, mm-hmm. everybody's played the hell out of Worms. You know, like um. It's basic. It's like it's the whole scorched earth kind of artillery thing, but you could jump around and like have ninja ropes, and you know d- the destructible terrain means like you would like try and knock the ground out from underneath one of your worms. But we played the hell out of this as a thing, and um, I remember this really really vivid memory. I bought Worms Two for ten dollars, which is like the best money I've ever spent in my wow. entire life. Because Worms Two is my still my favorite of the series, and um. Because you could make your own maps, you had a level editor, and that was a really big deal to me as a kid. That's right. And I, re- I remember going over to my friend Glenn's house, and he and like, I, th- I don't know if it was Worms Two or Worms Armageddon, but you could like do a cheat code and get like these super weapons, and one of them was the concrete donkey. Do you guys remember that? No, I never had that weapon. No. What did it do? It's basically like <laughs> no. this. Apparently, there was like this garden ornament that somebody, one of the team, had in their garden, which was just like a concrete donkey in their garden. So they put a concrete donkey in the game, and it's basically <laughs> a giant concrete statue of a donkey that like comes down and like slams the hell out of like it's a huge. It's like the most powerful weapon in the game, and just slams the hell like repeatedly. It's like jackhammers like ten worms like down into the ocean like. And I remember going over there and, like, showing him this cheat code. And his dad was, like, I remember, like, this big burly man, like, with hairy arms and, like, you know, red face. And he was all tan. Like, he must have been a builder or something. I don't remember what he did. But this huge burly man, like, came in to watch us playing this. And, like, we did this concrete donkey over and over again. And he was in hysterics. Like, he was laughing like I've never seen a man laugh. And I have this really, really vivid memory of this enormous hairy man like with tears streaming down his face and like in absolute hysterics at this concrete donkey like slamming down. But um I still I still play worms and it's got such a cool like a, such a um special place in my heart because I remember it, it was it was just like the first time I'd ever played a game against somebody and like, you know, having like that thing where you're not just playing against the computer, you had like, yeah. you had like, because so, it was turn-based so, and my brother and I only had one computer so we could act, you could hot seat it, you know, and like all of the games that I used to multiplayer as a kid were all hot seat games. Like I'm sure Brian remembers playing Need for Speed 2 and like, you know, we played the hell out of that with like two people on one keyboard. That was like, 
any game developer in the 1990s that put a two-player on one computer mode in their games is my hero. Oh, yeah. I never played Need for Speed in Hot Seat. That's pretty nice. That's cool. Oh, man, that was so much fun. We had so much fun with that. Anyway, moving right along. Um, mm. I feel really bad about this one because a, a lot of the people I know, they talk about their first adventure games and they've got like iconic classics like a King's Quest game or a Space Quest game or a Monkey Island game. That The first adventure game that I ever played, and I still love this, and I think it's one of the best adventure games of the 90s, is Beavis and Butthead in Virtual Stupidity. Uh, oh, man, yeah, yeah, yeah. I always wanted to play that. Uh, Chris, That's a very good game. That's a very yeah, good game. It was, I haven't finished it. Boy, do oh, I have man, to finish that. Oh, man, you have that. to finish that. It is like one of the darkest games I've ever played. This, I don't want to spoil too much, but there's a bit where you get a guy to eat a man alive. Like, <laughs> like so... <laughs> I remember, like, being a kid and, like, we had... I don't know if anybody else ever played these, but there was, like, a... It was... Because it was a Windows 95 game, so we've moved on from the DOS games right. now. We're now into Windows 95 and, like, you know, the whole where do you want to go today? And everything was, like... People were excited about computers, you know? Just the idea of having, like, a a, a PC, you know? Everybody watch right. Weezer's buddy Hottie video clip. Like, man, my computer can do this? This is incredible, you know? And, um... Mm-hmm. And... I remember there was like this sampler disc of games and it had like a lot of like just previews of games but there were also some demos and it was like a spaceship and you would walk around the spaceship and it had like all these screens and you'd walk up to a screen in the spaceship like it was a first person view and you'd like press space or enter on the screen and it would start the game installing like the screen had like the screenshot of the game on it and oh, it was just crazy. demos and it was I, I have it around here somewhere still and it was the most incredible way to like and I could walk around this spaceship for like an hour as a kid you couldn't do anything but look at the screenshots but th- I wanted that you know that's what was I was it one of those like w- like 200 in games on, on one CD mega packs no this was just like this, or demos this was really only like there were only probably like 8 or 9 playable demos oh on wow it. it really wasn't that much but all the t- like they put all, I mean they had Doom 95 on there they had um, one called Havoc they had did they oh, have Havoc. I, I remember Havoc, too. Oh, man, really? You're the only other guy that I know that's played that. That was fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Oh, totally. sounds familiar. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so they had this Beavis and Butthead game, and that's the, that is the game that made me fall in love with adventure games because I was, like, I was not good at, at you know, games because I was a kid, so, like, all of the, like, you know, you, you're not used to, like, having an easy time when you're playing a game. It was usually a real challenge, and this was a game where you could just walk around and, like, click on things and get jokes aimed at a nine-year-old kid, which is exactly what I was, you know, <laughs> like, you know, so like you could <laughs> click on the piece of chalk and he'd like draw a guy with a huge like schlong like on the, on the chalkboard. And that was the funniest thing <laughs> in the world to me. And you had like <laughs> mini games. It re- it's really redolent of like LucasArts' Sam and Max game. They had like these fun mini games, great comedy, like a great comedy duet. If you can handle the sort of comedy that we're talking about here, because it's, you know, it's, it's teenage boy humor, but I thought it was the funniest thing. And my dad thought it was funny, so we'd, like, sit down with him and, like, show him the funny stuff. He can still quote lines from it today because it's got, like, full voice acting. I'm, they must have got Mike Judge to come and do the voices, and it's, it's really, really good. That's got great animation, great graphics. Um, and, of course, it, it wouldn't be a Beavis and Butt-Head thing without, like, really weird music. They had, like, um, they had a guar song, a guar video clip in it. They had a, uh, a sausage, a primus song, like, and just, wow. it's a, it's a really, um, 
it's it's a really well done like you think of in terms of like licensed games from like you think oh an MTV yeah. cartoon is turned into a licensed game how good's that going to be that's going to like the worst thing in the world but it is a really good game it's a genuinely good adventure game and I recommend it to anybody I played through it again like two months ago and had the best time ever I laugh the whole time while I play it it's such a great game which um, studio made oh, it out of curiosity uh, it was Viacom New Media. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, and published by M- by MTV, I think. Yeah, Probably. wow. That must that was, must have been like one of the only games they ever published. I think everything they ever Viacom. I think everything they ever they did a few. Yeah, they were like a lot of time stuff. Oh, didn't they do that horrible Daria game? Did you ever try that? I was going to try it, but after watching Pushing Up Roses. Uh, YouTube review of it, I do not plan to get it. <laughs> it oh, looks so that's just about it in a nutshell. That is one of the worst games yeah. that could ever come out, which is too bad, because that's a really intelligent, funny show. But th- that is one of the worst games I've ever played, the Dario yeah. one. But the uh, Beavis and Butthead one, which I'm thinking I need to play like today, because I missed that. <laughs> um, I played a demo of it, and I got through the demo, and I loved that, and I loved how close it looked to the show, and it had video clips of the original animation and voices that were absolutely true to the show, yeah. but it also came with this one mini-game, and I think it was like Nacho.exe for Windows, <laughs> and it was this game where you're you're Beavis, and you're at the bottom of a building, and people are throwing like food and various objects out of the building, and you have to eat the food but avoid <laughs> the non-food oh, wow. objects, okay. and I played it That's so funny. much. <laughs> I played the hell out of it. It was this dumb little mini-game, and it was just so, so, so much fun. I assume that was somewhere in the I game. I don't I think I remember that one, but I remember like there was a Hokalugi where you could like you could um Oh, I played that too. Yeah, you spit on the people that are going past and my parent my mum <laughs> thought that was the most horrible thing in the world and of course we've been kids thought it was the best thing ever, you know? And the best thing was uh, it wasn't like it was a dumb simple game about like spitting on stuff, but you get like funny comments and funny reactions and animations and stuff like that. And that's like that's the one mini game you have to do to like to win the game. But it was also like um you had, like, the bug thing where you'd, like, burn bugs with a magnifying glass when they try and steal your candy, and you had, like... you go to, like, the tennis courts and you'd, like, get the ball machine and, like, shoot it at, like, the really, really middle-class white guys who were like, hey, get off our tennis courts, you kids, and you'd be, like, <laughs> shooting them with the things. And, um... This game sounds amazing. Fun... It's, like, you know how Sam and Max had, like, the car bomb and, like, the highway surfing yeah. and all those cool stuff? Mm. This is exactly like that. Like, that's the closest I can compare it to something. You've got a comedy duo, great animations, great voice acting, great humor, and fun minigames. Oh, They're the man. same sort of game, but I'm actually... And, and weird puzzles. <laughs> like, but... But, I mean, I still love that game. And there was another Beavis and Butthead adventure game made called Beavis and Butthead Do You, which is not quite as good um, but that that came a lot later. I didn't play that until, I think, a year or so ago. And then the last game I'll talk about, because I've talked for way too long, is um, we had a bunch of games at school. We had, like, a Mac, and we had, like, SimCity 2000. We had Prince of Persia. We had Lemmings wow. and that stuff. And I mostly watched those games. Uh, and Lynx, because we had PCs as well, like Lynx, The Challenge of Golf. And yep. um, love that. I still love Lynx, but I never played much of it at school. But we had The Incredible Machine, which was mentioned oh. before the podcast. Mm-hmm. And I love The Incredible Machine. Not only is it a really clever, like, Rube Goldberg machine simulator with, like, a ton of, like, creative options. You could just, like, experiment to your heart's content. But it was also really whimsical. Like, yeah, as a kid, I remember I, like, it was really funny. Yeah, it was. Like, you had, like, 
different power sources, and one of them was like a, a monkey sitting on like a stationary bike with like a banana behind like Venetian blinds, and you pull the cord and like the blinds open, yeah. and he sees the banana, and he starts pedaling, which is uh-huh. the most ridiculous power source in the world to like power a conveyor belt. But that was awesome to me, you know, and, like. You like trying to. Oh, it had like zeppelins yeah. and toy airplanes and <laughs> fireworks yeah. and stuff. Yeah, it was really and cute. You try to like hit the cat with like the firework. Like, you know, you're a horrible child. You want to see the animation and like, real, real. Oh, and yeah. best of all, whenever that would actually work and that would be like your viable perpetual motion machine <laughs> when you're torturing some poor little critter. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, terrific game. That game had awesome music. Yeah, yeah. I was just going to say, yeah. I can hear the music playing in my head right now. It had like 20 songs or something, and they were all a different genre, and they were very, very well done. That was a really, really good game. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so, yeah that's... Oh, yeah, that little, that little guy. guy. He's like, Woo! Sierra. What was his name? I'm trying to remember. <sighs> oh, was it... He was the star of some game. Was he? Sid and Al. Oh, Sid and Al's Incredible Tunes. Sid and Al. That's there it. Man, that, that was, was a great... Sid and or Al. I never did play that. Oh, that's fantastic. I don't know if I did either. It was the same game, same wasn't game, it? Just with different graphics and, yeah. Those games got really hard, though. I, I didn't have the, 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 the noodle for that kind of <laughs> challenge. I, I love I loved just, like, creating random machines and, like, creating the biggest possible machine that did absolutely nothing in that game. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> or, like, or, like, like... Remember, remember how there's, like, a trampoline kind of thing? You could just make a ball bounce infinitely higher and higher each yes. time? <laughs> that's right it had like sub-earth gravity but it it taught you stuff like I mean I'm sure I learned things from that game you know like yeah it's it's a decent like it's just like a toolbox of this is physics P- go and play with it without right. like being in a dangerous environment where you're actually lighting fireworks to shoot at a cat <laughs> It taught me stuff like you can shine a flashlight and a magnifying glass to light a candle. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Important life lessons like that. Yeah. Instead and also of burning, like burning colors, like, like flies and army men with it, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's right, and cats. <laughs> oh, my God. But yeah, so that's, that's my childhood. <laughs> Not burning cats. Yeah. It's fine. We're just simulating burning cats. <laughs> that's right that's the rated g game yeah, that's the one that we that's the one that's actually safe for kids <laughs> i know is ma15 still the highest rating in australia no, we have an r rating which is 18 and wow. over. oh congrats and um i think they've only just added that to games so yeah i know that was really recent yeah wow. we're a bunch of prudes too bad well your government is anyway yeah anyway so yeah, well, so that's wow. that's my list of games. Thank you very much for letting me talk about those because I love those. Like just, I, yeah, just just even like thinking about my list, I'm like, man, what am I going to talk about? Because I could obviously, you know, we've all played like a million games, and there's a million I could talk about. But I'm like, those are the ones that really I think defined who I am. Like that's awesome. as like I, as I'm like so the you... games that made was was that sorry, Chris. I was just saying, I was just thinking, so glad you mentioned kind of those, even though those games came later for me, you know, I think I would be probably uh, 14, 15, 16 years old by the time I played The Incredible Machine and stuff. I I, I still think they were like the best games I've ever played in my whole life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was... And it isn't just rose-tinted glasses. Like, they, they really had a lot of yeah. depth and creativity to them. They did something that nobody else really seemed to care to repeat. Yeah, yeah and I've nice, noticed, like, like... they Go ahead. Sorry, Chris. I was just going to say, like, the 90s were a really, really creative time. Like, um, I go back and I, like, I try and find, like, old DOS games because 
they do a lot of things that you just... You, the laws and the rules of game design weren't that clearly established at that point. And going back, you could see, like, right. the genres hadn't been set in place, so you had people trying all this different stuff. And I always think, like, what if what if the genre had gone this way? Like, you play, like, Cryo's Doom, uh, Dune, sorry, versus yeah. Westwood's Dune, and, the, and Dune yeah, 2 right. is the one that defined the genre. But imagine if it had been the other way, and, like, just That's stuff right. like that. I love, like, you look at... I know there's been the whole thing with... Um, Peter Molyneux recently, which is a really uncomfortable subject, but I was talking to someone like, I really miss Peter Molyneux of the 90s. He was like, just this this incredibly inspiring guy, and I kind of hope that he goes back to that and stops making things where you tap on a cube, you know, like, I see that yeah. that he's mm-hmm. trying to be an artist and experimental and stuff like that, but I, I really want the Peter Molyneux of the 90s back. Um, well, you know, he he was even uh, experimental up to the two thousands. You guys ever try the movies? Oh yeah, that oh, was the great. Movies. That was a Peter Mullen. That game? was such a unique one. That was a Peter Mullen game. Yeah, that was a, yeah, that it had in his true style. It had so much charm and personality and a lot of humor. Yeah, and, it, it was. It was just bloody hard. Yeah, to yeah. Me, it was the, like the parts of it were it was, terrific. It was like the Sims on crack. I loved it. <laughs> That's a really good explanation. <laughs> but but yeah, like so so you see all these games like back that we played when we were like young and you just go, I wonder what would have happened if this one had got popular instead of that one, you know, how yeah. that would have defined the genre. So, well, that's right. Yeah. And, today, yeah. and today, unfortunately, due due to the idea that genre, you know, is is there are actually genres. People build them for the purpose of you know, um, fitting tightly within a specific genre. And in the eighties and nineties, I loved when, yeah, like you mentioned, Cryo's Dune. People freely yeah. mixed adventure RPG and strategy together and didn't even really think about it. And I and I was like, that's amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love. Well, you have to wonder whether this was uh, id Software's fault because for the longest time, you know, Doom got so incredibly popular, and suddenly there were all these first-person shooters, which we didn't call. Yeah, them that's true. Back in the day, we called those Doom clones. Yeah, that's right. And I guess that's where clones got really uh, established as something viable. I remember every single real-time strategy game that came out, like post '96, was referred to as a Red Alert clone. That's what everybody called them. Really? I remember reading magazines and like people would be like, "Oh, this is the latest Red Alert clone from this company." I'd be like. <laughs> You know, that was just all Command and Conquer oh. clone. That's that's how people referred to games, because that's how people really did build games, like, in the late 90s. They were just like, let's do let's do Doom, but with different graphics, or let's do, you know, so... Yeah. Yeah. That's funny, because when... That was enough for us back then, because it was that good. Yeah, when Command, Command and Conquer came out, I remember thinking, I'm like, oh, I already played this, this is just Dune 2 with different graphics. Yeah. That's exactly <laughs> why I didn't play Command and Conquer, because it felt like exactly the same thing to me, and I... Got myself sick of doing two. Played it so much. Yeah, yeah. I played the hell out of it. Hmm. Well, is that a meaningful, meaningful close to our our um, discussion of first loves? I, <laughs> I think perhaps it might be. Wow. Well, my my tongue is tired of wagging. <laughs> I I I have the feeling like we're gonna have listeners be like, this literally took me two weeks of of commutes <laughs> to work to get through this episode. <laughs> I know. Well, we had, I know. Our listeners' youths are going to melt away yeah. by the time they're done listening. We've to this. covered a lot of years and a lot of games, though. We really. Yeah, have. that's amazing. Yeah, that's like it's like a ten-year span, or even more. So yeah. And but thank you very much for having me on the podcast. I've had a great time. That was like that was really fun. 
Oh, well, thank you so much for coming, Ben. A real pleasure to have you aboard and to hear about your your early favorites. Absolutely, I'll, totally I'll, I'll always talk about old games. <laughs> That's why we love you. <laughs> so, Ben, is there anything that uh, you'd like to uh, plug or tell people how to get in touch with you? Anything you'd like to mention before we sign? Uh, off? You can find me on Twitter. I am at Ben underscore three hundred four. And if you want to hear me talking crap regularly on like a ridiculously erratic basis you can check out the blue cup tools podcast that i do with francisco gonzalez who has been mentioned on this podcast before and if you want to play my games you can find them on the internet i love ben how <laughs> you're like the least corporate human being i've ever known <laughs> <laughs> um, you never yeah, plug not... your games for anybody uh, listening that's mm-hmm. not familiar with ben's amazing games and amazing artwork you can check him out at wadget eye games you can. Yeah, yeah, and do it. And, and do it. You'll be a better ADS person one. for it. That's right. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming aboard. Um, if you want to get in touch with uh, the podcast, you can uh, find us on the web at squarefm.demodulated.com. You can reach us by email to give some comments or to leave us a voicemail at squarefm at demodulated.com. And on Twitter, we are at squarewavesfm. And if uh, you just so happen to have a Telnet BBS client, you can dial into our BBS uh, and play some text-based games at squarewaves.zap2.org. So thank you ever so much for joining us yet again. I don't think our uh, episodes are getting any shorter, but uh, what are you going to do? All right. Thank you so much. We will talk to you in a week, and I hope, Ben, we can have you back in some future episode. I would love Mm -hmm. to come back. Oh, we'd love to have you. Thank you so, so much for joining us, everyone, and uh, have a good one. All right. Until next week, goodbye.